0: CS Media is now part of the Spotify exclusive team. If you'd like to watch this episode and others, uncensored and uncut, click on the link in the description below. All right, we got Rick Enrique Prado in today, Black Ops book, done, CIA, you name it, you've done it. Thank you so much for your time and coming in and sharing some stories with us.
1: Well, thank you for having me.
0: So let's start with Black Ops. What? When did you decide to write that book?
1: You know, uh, probably be around 2006 or something like that, my, uh, my former boss, uh, Kofor Black, was harping to me about writing a book. He says, you should write a book. I go, I'm not writing a book. And this went on for a couple of years. But I've always taken it very personal how my agency is portrayed in Hollywood. And I was very vociferous about it, you know, and especially to Kofor. And he's the one that said, look, with your story... You can fix a lot of that. I say, yeah, maybe no. Um, but then it, it dawned on me, you know we have our, our agency is actually fairly small. It's, it's especially the operational uh, part of our business. And we have 139 stars on that wall. Uh, a third of those were post 9/11 wow. And some of those I sent in Harm's way, Harm's way. So for me, the fact that Hollywood can portray, CIA and, and, and as our, our operators as these corrupt, you know, total maniacal, egotistical, drug selling, backstabbing, you know, uh, being chased by their own government because they were doing something for the government, that, if, which is all bullshit. So um, that that was kind of like when, it, when, when I pulled the trigger. Uh, the, the person that finally was a tipping point, uh, Annie Jacobson, she wrote a fantastic book, Surprise Kill Vanish, highly recommended to you. And um, I'm in it a little bit. That's how we met. And she's the one that got me the publisher and everything else. So,
0: how? What made you come up with the cover?
1: Because the cover is what got me. It is. It is. The,
0: nice. the cover is unbelievable. Um, so whoever came up with that?
1: Well, from the beginning, I knew that the, <laughs> the book had to be black and gold because that's yeah. the color that I like. Like, right, like with the, uh, with, with the with with a car and everything else. Um, I'm a knife guy, um, and and as a matter of fact, people ask me why do you like knives. I said because they scare the crap out of me. Mm-hmm. they scare the crap out of me they're going to scare the crap out of the other guy so i uh i had the knives and and that was putting a gun on 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 a, on, a, on a on a book it's mm-hmm. it's not you know it's just who knows so, now exactly right? exactly yeah. so the knife came out really well and, and it was my idea to put the uh, well, actually i wanted to put this insignia on the knife which is our our director of operations on the oss but the publisher lawyers were saying well you know we may need special um uh, we have to we don't want to do it so i said i'm tap on that one
0: yeah i I just felt it again to make sure i was right you can feel the the knife come out of the book yep Yep. yeah it's textured we have it in kindle yep hardcover even audio cd yep right there on amazon get it right there and then your website uh next tab websites really i mean you can find out everything you want about you on your website (laughs) so right there what are you doing there with bush
1: that's a great story um when i was in korea uh and uh, his father came down he was no longer president but uh, senior came down i was chief liaison for the station so i did i broke the whole trip so during that trip he asked you know asked prado what is it, he wants an eight by ten sign i said no i want a baseball so i gave him the baseball and signed it so this is a september um 17th um when he signed the uh the lethal finding for us to go after the Taliban and during during the come during the walk when he got the casual part I walked up to him and I said um Mr. President uh do you recognize the signature and he goes oh of course I said would do you mind adding yours to it and I was laughing because I was looking at your Mont Blanc there he goes like this he doesn't have a pen that's my Mont Blanc that he's signing oh on. Shit. the <laughs> pens in the safe also you know. so that that's why I have both uh, Bushes on there and um my secretary, when I was at Blackwater, she had it mounted, uh, the photograph, the baseball, and underneath it says, sometimes you have to play hardball. That's so awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. And, that's and
0: awesome. you give them a baseball design, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. I bet you'll never forget that. No. Yeah. And, and you got some karate going on
1: down there. What are you doing there too? That was taekwondo. Um, taekwondo. I, I, uh, <laughs> I started the martial arts when I was 15. guy <laughs> in the air? That's great. It's yeah. fairly Hollywood, you know, that's, uh he was coming in it, it's a practice thing but um what happened was because all my traveling i couldn't find i mean i couldn't stick with any one particular art so what i started doing every time i went to a new country i would look at all the schools and go that's the one i'm going to train so whether it was with the gracies i've trained with Hori and gracie and in, in, in torrance when we had the teams um you know the uh, uh, what what's this uh Well, anyway, knife fighting and all that other stuff, Bob Casper and all that other stuff throughout the years. It's always been – I still train by myself now. I did did Kraft McGaugh until about 18 months ago, two years ago. I was just getting too bagged up. I'm 71 years old, man. I got a lot of – You don't look 71 (laughs) and you're sharp, buddy. A lot of broken parts, you know.
0: Um, And then you got your NASCAR thing. That's awesome. That is. You see that, right Yeah, that is. It's all wrapped, and you know the whole car with Black Ops on it. That is so cool, huh?
1: Uh, let me tell you, I, I've been through some really humbling experiences here of late because this is very new to, to a guy that is from the shadows rather than from the, but sitting there on the track and watching that car go by time after time with your name on it and, and the book I, that was that's that was pretty, pretty cool tith, yeah. and, and
0: just think that was a book that you weren't going to write nope, you know and exactly. then you decided to write it and boom what do you know you have a NASCAR wrapped yeah, New York Times bestseller it only came out in March right
1: came out as a matter of fact they made uh, it was seven is the average because uh, the audio had sold more and was fifth place the book was in, in ninth place and the overall was seventh that's the way they rate it uh, that was maybe two weeks after it came out <sighs>
0: Unbelievable. And it's sold I mean, well. Well, I'm telling you, that cover catches your eyes. Yes. Uh, like big time, big time. Yeah, it's a start. Yeah. So in, in your words, if somebody's watching this right now, they love the cover, they see that you're not to be messed with pretty much, give a summary in your words of Black Ops.
1: Black Ops is a real story, a real action story about what the agency does, what our guys and gals in the agency do, um you know i'm still waiting for my austin martin just that's just not the way it is i mean these things don't exist it's no less sexy It's no less dangerous like i said we got 139 lives to prove that um but it starts with the cold war and it goes into terrorism um and and a little bit post that so it's primarily a, a true story about action in in the espionage world both cold war and and uh counter
0: yeah that's what i was saying before we came on to me it's better than an action movie you i read it in one night a book in one night i haven't well, read a book since other than medical books because i'm into medical or like spate ufo shit <clears throat> i've read a whole book at once and i don't even know how long but well, i couldn't sleep and it's one of those ones you can't put down and it's it's like an action movie but real Thank I mean that's, you. that's really that's what a, it is that's a
1: hell of a good compliment thanks
0: I mean, to me, that's what it, what it really is. Now, it's 374 pages now. When you originally wrote it, I always ask <laughs> this with books. How many pages was it originally? Or I mean, when you were done.
1: It, it was a little over 400, probably in the 430s or so. And, and um, the reason it got shortened is because we only left a percentage of the stuff that's blacked out. Um, the, the publisher said, uh, look, it's, it's like a sexy dress on a woman. You leave a little bit to the imagination and people go for it. But there were literally pages and pages of stuff. So where where it originally when it went to to my headquarters, it was probably about 430, 440 pages. By the time we ended with it was the um the three whatever. Yeah, yeah that's not bad. No. Not, Usually there
0: are I've heard ones that were like eight hundred and they had to cut down to two, remember, like two, three yeah. yeah. hundred. Yeah. So yeah. you only lost a hundred. That's not bad. Mm. That means you wrote accurately, yep. right? Or you know accurately as you possibly can and the audios like i said the audio is really great too you got to get it with amazon though <clears throat> because i tried to get it with uh, apple and you got it like the speaker guy's weird but the amazon one's really good the
1: amazon and uh, the guy that did is scott brick um his voice is just perfect for what i wanted they gave me like four or five choices and when i heard his voice i go you know i didn't want some squeaky voice guy you know talking my life and he just had that passion that the I tone. thought, yeah, the tone. But the passion also, I mean, he knew how to get in and the intonations. I really enjoyed uh, working with him.
0: Also, you know, a friend of ours just passed away. John Cruz, uh, mm. a <clears throat> great guy worked for me, you know, took his life. They cut his time at the uh, VA, his overtime, and that was just the end for him. What do you think could be done more to help these guys when they get out of the service?
1: You know, it's, it's a very complex question. I think the first thing that we got to do is stop fighting these long wars. And I think that they're already moving in that direction. You know, our, our, um, under the last administration, they started a very strong program of, let's try to avoid future jo- um, 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 wars and work more on preventing them. So this is why, like what we're doing in the Ukraine now, we've had people there for a while training them up in case, and now it's, it's become a reality. Um, Because, you know, I I did eight years up at Fort Bragg that I would go, um, seven years, I'm sorry, that I would go up there eight times a year to teach a course. And um, some of the guys that I worked with had six, seven tours. Wow. So, I mean, there's there's a lot of things in our lives that we cannot unsee, and regular people don't understand that. There's certain things you just cannot unsee. But when you do seven or eight tours... So a lot of shit that you have seen, and a lot of times this is and then the tipping point is when you have somebody close to you or something like that that does does uh, does get killed um, uh, attention to mental health all around is is very important um, and not only for our veterans um, also for our police officers yeah. you know our police officers um, see again a lot of a lot of bad things. Um, I mean, I could still remember when I was a paramedic with Metro, the, the first time I saw the light go out of somebody's eyes. It's a young kid in front of his dad. You don't erase that. So I think investing in making quality of life for these individuals as they're coming out, uh, understanding that it is a, a, something that they cannot overcome on their own, and some gravitate towards religion, other gravitate over to a, or, or a job they really like, like a friend. Uh, and my condolences but uh, you know when when his va thing uh, gave up that that was that was his hope so I, i'm involved uh, in one in st augustine through the masons that um is uh, horse therapy for veterans and for autistic kids i think that's, so th- th- that that kind of mental health awareness and the fact that look um we have what we have because those people were out there protecting us
0: right yeah You know, and I I think just from the people I've talked to, maybe if they came out and they had someone like Rick that they could relate to, not like some therapist that has no idea what they went through, and the therapist says, hey, Rick, how are you? Well, how the hell do you think Rick is? He just got back from the Cold War or wherever he was. You know, people died, crazy stuff. So when you when like, they would send him in and another one of my friends to a person that has no idea, sits there, you know, with their – what was that? this episode is brought to you by Fiji. More than just water.
1: This is not just rock. It's ancient volcanic rock that filters tropical rain, giving it
2: double the electrolytes and its signature soft smooth taste. It's not just water. It's Fiji water.
0: Again, that's fijiwater.com/mscs $5 off and free shipping. This podcast is brought to you by Monster Energy. Tear into a can of the meanest energy drink on the planet, Monster Energy. It's the ideal combo of the right ingredients in the right proportion to deliver a big bad buzz that only Monster can. Monster packs a powerful punch, has a smooth, easy drinking flavor. Athletes, musicians, co-eds, road warriors, metalheads, geeks, hipsters, and bikers dig it. You will too. Monster Energy is more than just the green OG. Monster has Monster Ultra. Juice Monster, Monster Hydro, Rehab Monster, Dragon Tea, Monster Max, Muscle Monster, and many more. Buy on Amazon, buy on Walmart, or go to MonsterEnergy.com and believe me, you'll find a place. Unleash the beast, Monster Energy. That show, uh, that everybody used to watch, and they crossed the legs. A real quiet guy. anyway's gonna drive me. Mr. Bean. No, I don't know. <laughs> he, he, he used to. I don't know. Anyway, but you know, like that guy that says hey rick so how was your yeah. day right. what's going on today yeah. now how guy, are you feeling yeah, yeah how are you feeling yeah. you know why don't you go home and write down how you feel but if you have if they had doesn't need to be a licensed therapist right. just a guy like you or a marine or another one similar to him that could have talked to him one-on-one where they can relate
1: yeah and, and even working tandem with a guy who is a professional um, that he could interpret for the individual what this means before, during, and after. I think that's an excellent ex- uh, excellent uh, idea, and it should be executed. God knows we've got enough talent out there, guys that have come up that are doing well. How do they cope with it? With a little bit of training, they could have a profession. I like that.
0: And before we get into your whole thing, one thing that you do is great is that you take the skills that you've learned throughout your life, along with other people, and you do a pro bono. You go try to find kids that were stolen, touched, whatever, internationally. Talk a little bit about what you do with that.
1: Yeah. uh, The uh, ARC is an organization that started by a friend of mine, Basil Bass, and uh, he was an agency guy for a former Marine Recon, uh, came, came to the agency for a few years and then went on private. And uh, he started this company. He called me up and uh, he said, Rick, he says, I know that uh, you had some pretty good connectivity overseas and I'm doing very strong here in the States, but I know what you bring to the table overseas. And he said, I would like you to be in my board of directors. And I said, absolutely, for free. Uh, That's the only way I would have done it anyway. So uh, I don't exactly go out there and duct tape people anymore. Um, (laughs) Which we'll get to. Which we'll get to. (laughs) Um, But I do have uh, a a network in in Southeast Asia, Latin America, some places in the Middle East, and definitely in, in Francophone Africa, that if there's some issue there, there ain't much we cannot do.
0: And and you go try to find kids that are missing, maybe molested or being used. Oh, so yeah. that nasty. Yeah, the, the, it, it's,
1: it's, on. it spreads the gamut. You know, you have the this, the uh, the the slavery kind of stuff because that's what exactly what it is is slavery where they'll capture somebody and sell them to an Arab or whatever the hell it is. Um, one thing that's actually very common is parents kidnapping the kids after a divorce. Gosh. That happens very often. Uh, we've had. Uh, a lot of people that have married Middle Eastern men, and when then there's a war, the divorce divorced, they actually will take the kid and get him out of the country, uh, smuggle him out, and then getting him back is, you know, you go to Saudi Arabia as as an American blonde woman, and you're gonna fight for your kid. You don't stand a chance. Yeah. So that's where we come in.
0: That's that's a, a great, great, great thing that you do. Thank you. Did you see the Mecca? Uh, terrorist thing. They were saying that there was a terrorist attack in 2013 that they kept quiet. It's called the McCaff thing. And Now, you would know, of course, more than me. I, I just know what I read on this bullshit internet. That they were going to take out the, the generators of the power grid. This here, the McCaff sniper attack. Mm-hmm. On April 16, 2013, an attack was carried out by Pacific Gas and Electric Companies. McCaff, I'm probably saying that wrong. Transmission, Substation, California, Near the border of San Jose, the attack in which gunmen fired on 17 electrical transformers resulted in more than 15 million worth of equipment damaged, but it had little impact on the station's electrical supply. I don't know if that video will play, but do you know about this?
1: Yeah, uh, m- mostly from the press, but uh, I have some friends that had access to it. You know, it's funny because one of the reasons that their their fire wasn't that um, uh, accurate or, or that efficient was the fact that... People understood the vulnerability, so most of these generators around them, those cooling uh, um, walls with the holes, those are all armored. So the angles like this, bullet hitting like that, very very few are going to make it in there. So um, it was actually, you know, prevention.
0: Why is it only coming out now, though?
1: Well, because you know the, the the problem is when you advertise this kind of stuff, somebody goes, "Aha."
0: Oh, no idea. I'm,
1: I'm, yeah, I'm going to do the same thing, and we all know what cyber attacks can do to us. Well, what does cyber run on? Electricity. So if you cannot get to the cyber and you start taking out generators, hmm,
0: yeah, and that's what they were doing, right? Exactly. Go to uh, the next tab, Twitter, because this is where I saw it on freaking Twitter. Even mm-hmm. before yep. Elon has <laughs> it, I'm reading this dumb. Yeah, one on one, Boston trapped him. Scroll up, it might be up. I was somewhere in there, but yeah. So that's what they were doing. They were trying to to take out what the grid. Because if they hit the generators, yeah, the if, yeah. If you,
1: if you lose the power grid and you cannot establish it back up, but I mean that's sabotage 101. We didn't. It's been done since World War II. a second even before. I mean you know, cut the the, cut the lines of communications, cut the electricity, cut the roads, cut the bridges. It's it's all the same. Just you move it to the future, and it's all electronic and wireless Wi-Fi stuff. Mm-hmm.
0: You know, and it's like, why even ever come out with this? Like, if you didn't come out with it before, like you said, I never thought about it like that because you're just giving somebody an idea mm-hmm. to do something.
1: Yeah. Well, like everything else, eventually you know, there's no secrets, you know, where there's very few things that there's are... always somebody uh, talking, right? That's right. So you're born in Cuba. That's correct.
0: Right? And then your mom and dad, middle class. What was it like? That was during uh, the Castro revolution or yeah. rough uh, time over there, yep. huh? Yeah,
1: Yeah. The, um, I was born in '51. And Castro took over in '59, and the, the town that I lived in in, in Cuba was um, Manicaragua, which is the foothills of the Escambray Mountains, and that's where the, a lot of the rebels were, including supposedly Che Guevara. And they would because my the town was the first town when you came down, and it was a sizable, um uh, town. Uh, we got you know we got harassment attacks very often, and that's where I first saw, you know, the violence of war you know, right in front of my face because we lived in the main street of the, uh, of the town. Um you had uh,
0: bombs going off and all kinds of gunfights? It, it was
1: mostly stuff? gunfire at first, uh, only when it got to the serious war. Uh, and by that, that's the time they moved me to Santa Clara. My, my father uh, sent me with my grandfather. It's in the book. But uh, because that's when the actual takeover, the others were harassment things. They were coming in there, killing a few police or military and in and, and Didy Mao out. But um you know, and then seeing what happened with communism, I mean, it was almost instantaneous, you know, six months after he took over, my oh. my father's uh companies are being company, he employed like ten people of that, um, was confiscated and and, and so on, and the uh, you know the uh, the indoctrination i mean um, I, I remember clearly the teachers telling me, you know it is your duty as a Cuban. That if your parents speak ill of Castro or the revolution, you have to t- you have to rat them out. Hmm. That's pretty, cra- you know. That's pretty crazy when you're six, seven, eight, nine, yeah. ten years old. That's real know. crazy. It is. It is. And, and some kids did because let's face it, especially back then, you know, know priests right. and church yeah. and, and teachers, we held it at a level uh, that that does I don't think it exists anymore, unfortunately. But no, it doesn't. so when when a teacher told you that. It really resonated, especially the parents weren't paying attention. My, my parents were. So what happened was my dad, um, when they confiscated the business, he saw what was going on. He said, look, we're going to leave the country. and So we moved to Havana. Uh, it took him two years to get out of Havana. Um, when the, um, I guess it was pro- probably about six months after we went up there, my, uh, I had a, an uncle that was a communist, he was a professor at a school, at the school that I was used to be at, and he said, you know, your son's name is on the list to go to Moscow to study. And that's when my dad said, I gotta get him out of here. And uh, so there was this program, uh, it's called Pedro Pan, Peter Pan Program, established through the Catholic Church. And 14,000 some odd kids were taken out through that program for over a period of two years. That's a lot of kids. That's a lot of kids. And uh, so you know, I went to the uh, to the airport with uh, with my parents, and you know, I was the little man. You know, my dad brought me up with you know, this is how a man acts, this is how you do, this is how you keep you cool, you suck it up. You know, uh, it, it it was that that indoctrination in a, in a very positive way was always there. So he played that card with me as far as me me getting on that plane, and, and uh, you know, you're going to be on your own. But he did a, several things besides preparing me. He looked at me in the eye and told me, he says. I will see you again, no matter what. That, so that, I never that's had man shit. Yeah, that's that, man that, man that, shit that's, really that. that's man shit. Even yeah. even at ten years old. But at so, seven,
0: you were in a firefight.
1: Yeah, well,
0: I, I mean that's writing the book, and yeah. I was like, "How are you in a firefight at seven?
1: Well, I wasn't firing, but I was in the middle of it. <laughs> what, what happened was, uh, <laughs> like I said, our, our house was in the in the uh, in the in the main high main street of, of the town, and at the end, about three store um, three stores down from from our home. There was a bar that was frequented by police and the military guys. And what happened was they, it was the second or third time that they had done a harassment into the town. Uh, and all the other times my parents had been with me. They would take me back to a safe haven and we would just sit there. But this time they were out of town. And I, I had a fifteen-year-old nanny, for lack of a better word. That was, you know, keeping keeping an eye. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, the uh, all of a sudden, I start hearing the ruckus, and I walk up to the front window. And these were these jealousy windows, and it was about this high off the ground, about three feet off the ground. And I start cranking the handles, and things open up, and I can hear and I could see people from across the street shooting into the into the bar. But what I did not see was uh, right underneath me there was a guy with an automatic weapon. Mm. And all of a sudden he pops up and lets out these incredible two bursts of ammunition. I was, I'm farther from you than I was from this guy. Wow.
0: But was that was be, good for your ears at seven?
1: But you know, it's <laughs> funny because you know, un, under those kind of stress, the first things that you lose is auditory, it's called auditory exclusion, and tunnel vision. And when, when you have that kind of a shock, I don't remember the gunfire as much as I remember that you're gonna laugh. The empty shells hitting the glass and cascading down. Mm. That's tattooed here. I can literally relive that. And you can hear it too. You right? could Yep. Yeah. So th- that was that was the first experience that was that close. Um, I also uh, would go up in the Escambray Mountains with my my dad even earlier on, when he went to buy the coffee crop, and you know I saw dead rebels on the road and and some dead soldiers on the road. But um, I wasn't sensitized to it, but nonetheless it was not a
0: you're almost getting prepared to do what you end up doing
1: well you know you're hit on something that's very important to me uh i uh i honestly believe that god puts us in a path puts a path in front of us not everybody has the willingness to pay the price of admission to that path but if you do take that path because that's what you're supposed to do um god will still prepare you and now, in, you know, with the hindsight and the retrospective time that I was able to have the book, it's, it's so crystal clear that it was like, I need this guy here 20 years from now or 30 years from now, and let me start forging that metal that's going to become that sword. So I'm a firm believer in that.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, when you read the book, everything that happened to you, it built you up to go into the military and then... In the middle of it, I started to say to myself, he just left a war-ridden country. Just, you know, ammunition, all this shit at 10. Why in the hell would you want to go into the military? This episode is brought to you by Let's Get Checked. I want to talk to you guys out there who are working out all the time but aren't seeing any results. Your commitment isn't the issue. You're going to the gym all the time, different body parts, everything else. Before you go and buy a new supplement, try a new diet, new routine, Let's talk about your testosterone. Low testosterone can affect anyone at any age. And low testosterone will take away muscle mass and you'll gain body fat. So let's talk about today's sponsor, Let's Get Checked. They're the worldwide leader at home testing kits. You order the testing kit. It's delivered right to your house. Discreet packaging. Next day delivery. You send it back. Once it arrives in the laboratory, your results will be available in two to five days on your secure online account. So... If you want to test your testosterone levels without leaving your home, visit trylgc.com slash mscs and use the code mscs at checkout and get 30% off. The link is in the description at the top. This episode is sponsored by Aurora. Do you know what the fastest growing crime in America is? For years, this crime rate has been surging and affecting millions of Americans. I'm talking about identity theft, and there's a new victim every 14 seconds. Yet despite this, those who have had their identity stolen are often shocked when it happens. That's why I'm excited to partner with Aurora, who is sponsoring this video. Aurora is identity theft protection, fraud monitoring, a VPN, password management, and antivirus software all into one easy-to-use app. Their VPN allows you to stay anonymous online by keeping your browsing history and personal information safe and encrypted. Protect you and your family from America's fastest growing crime. Try Aurora for free for two weeks and see if you or anyone in your family's personal information has been compromised. Start your free trial today. Go to Aurora.com slash MSCS. The link is in the description below. But it make sense because it was just meant to be because you were you were prepared so you were so good at what you did just in my opinion because at seven years old five years old you're already experiencing all kinds of stuff that others aren't Mm -hmm. so then when you go to go into the military later on half this stuff is a joke to you because okay a dead body you you saw that at seven right you know it Mm -hmm. it just totally prepped you yeah
1: i i I do believe that i i do believe that and and um you know the the one of the biggest uh, polishing was when I went into pararescue. You know, I thought I was I, I thought I was hot shit. I thought I was a tough kid. You know, walked with a swagger. <laughs> it was humbling. You know, when I'm puking after the seventh mile of running or whatever.
0: So tell me about pararescue. I, I guess the boot camp is what the hell is.
1: Yeah, the the uh, pararescue pipeline back then was a little over a year, still over two years now because the the advanced medical stuff that they have now. I mean, pararescuemen are trained in mountain climbing, parachuting, scuba diving, fighting, of course, uh, shooting miniguns out of helicopters. But their main job, that's just how you get to rescue somebody
0: give me a couple of examples of some of those things that you named that you did like real cool stories like you were talking about how you you know you were diving on the water you already knew how to swim you 100 meters thousand meters you know you held your breath forever i want to hear about the scuba each one <laughs> of those that you mentioned give me one cool story
1: well you know i, I like i the, like we had in our talk at the beginning seer school is, is 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 a bear and and for us it was two and and there's there's a, a couple of stories there that, that are worth telling but my I was the shortest guy in my class, and my partner was the tallest guy in the class. Steve Berkland, six <laughs> foot four, and there was this hundred or so meter um, bomber range, for lack of a better word, booby trap range uh, that we had to go through. Now there weren't real booby traps; they were, you know, just fla- um, flash banks. But if one popped up, they would grab you, and you had to start again. And You're doing low crawl under these things and everything else and what's low crawl low crawl is when you're actually laying down on the ground and you're in your elbows and, and knees and and, and warming it uh, so you don't get shot so we went through a couple of those um jolly kind of tipped one and we were able to stick a stick on the wire, <laughs> wire was and hold it in we went down about 20 yards then boom it went off the, the next guy got blamed for it so we get quick up going when we get to the end of this thing you know we're all, we're, we're all, you know, 20, 21 years old. Yeah. We, we just thought we had shit. <laughs> and we're doing this high five stuff. We made, we were the first guys to make it over here and all of a sudden out of the woodwork comes out like six guys. They jumped the crap out of us. They hog tied us, put a bag over our heads and threw them in, in, into our debriefing uh, the, the programs. That's a, this is a three week course.
0: Holy shit. And then yeah. what happens after that? Um, <laughs> I mean, you've got a bag on your head now, you, Yeah. Right? Well,
1: you know, I spent, <laughs> um, I don't know if it was three or four days because, again, that's part of the, dis- the, you know, the uh, disorientation aspect of inter- enhanced interrogations. That's where it comes from, by the way, from Sears. And uh, they put us in, in uh, not much bigger than a phone booth, probably about a two phone booth uh, kind of hole. It was only about four and a half feet tall. So, even I had to stoop so I could imagine some of my bigger buddies. Imagine the uh, 6'4 guy. Yep. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, trust me. And they give you a, a log, uh, a, actually, a root of a, of a tree. That's, that's, that's where you sit, and it's all rough. And you get two buckets wow. one for peeing, one for pooping, huh. and you're there. And they got music blasting. You're, it's pitch dark, you can't see shit, but it's constantly rock and roll music <laughs> and Hanoi Jane, all that crap from back <laughs> then. <laughs> And, um, and of course, very uh, aromatic, to say the least. And then what they would do is, a couple of times a day, they would come and take you into interrogation. And that was part of the training. How do you resist interrogation? So um, How do you resist interrogation? Well, you know, you have to know, first of all, you have to make up your mind that you're not going to break. That is, It's one of the things that they try to teach you in Seer School is, you only survive if you say, I'm not going to break. And unfortunately, you know not everybody can do that, you know, even with training. So once you've made up that determination, then you do what you have to do to survive without compromising your country. So sometimes you have to play and give a little bit or or, or try to keep a low profile. Um, but the whole concept of of, uh, of, of 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 seer you know is escaping, being able to formulate plans for escaping and that and that was the second pretty good story We had uh we had uh our, our group we were we we're in a part of the camp i'm starting to
0: interrupt you did they feed you in the phone booth for three or four days no nope. so they yeah. were really prepping you as if you're in there they
1: oh, they man. gave us uh, i remember the first time we ate was a bowl of fish soup and it had worms in it oh man. yeah you know what we did right we ate it. <laughs> I mean, what else you What, gonna are, do? what you else what you going to do? Else do? 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 You, you but, but that's part. A... That's part of the. Hey, okay. I will do whatever it takes to to survive this. So uh, we we were now we're in a concentration camp. We are actually out of the cubicles. We're living in a concentration camp's concertina wire, and for whatever reasons, I get picked as the guy. The team picks me as the guy that's got to escape. Wow. <laughs> so um, and and uh, so I escaped once, got caught and paid for it how'd you get caught i i do you know, i crawled, crawled under the wire and, and, dug, got and they, they got me yeah. but what we did the second time uh my buddy jolly green steve burkeland who like that we had another guy who was a tail gunner in a B uh b-52 called them cool breeze and I, we they would, went to the other side of the camp and they got in an argument and they got in a fight now you got two guys who are six foot four 200 and some pounds swinging at her over there <laughs> and everybody's attention was here and that's when i got out and i was able to go to the safe point which was a, ch- a hut in the middle of nowhere and when i walked in there they uh, they gave me half a bologna sandwich and brought me back to the camp mm-hmm. no punitive action you, you escape but you can't miss the rest of the class well, at
0: least so. you got a bologna sandwich yeah right? half a bologna yeah. sandwich <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> best best meal i ever had
0: and then tell me one about the scuba
1: well, you know, scuba school is, is uh, arguably the toughest thing that we do in the military. Um, uh, one of the, th- the reasons that uh, the SEAL teams and pararescue have uh, a long-lasting friendship and, and respect is that until SOCOM was actually created, um, the only two units that had to be scuba qualified in order to get your credentials, and they're the Tridents, we are Maroon Berets, um, was scuba school. That was a commonality. And to this day, Green Berets don't have to go through scuba school. Really? Not to get their beret. They have to go through jump school, but they do not have to go to scuba school. Most, A lot of them go post, but they already have their beret. And then what's jump school? Jump school is, a uh, uh, now it's cool. Now it's really, really cool. And I can tell you about that one because I know the guy that does the training. But, you know, in the old days for us, jump school was three weeks before bragged, you know, jogging in July. And you get five jumps and you're doing... You know landings and sawdust It's just, it's pretty. Like <laughs> got duty. that look in your face. Yeah, like, ah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just you know. Well, and and for me, well, for my for my team, for the team, uh, when we got out, of, uh, when we went to Fort Benning, we had been in scuba school. We had been through what we knew was the toughest part of of our course. So now we had this. Yeah, right. You know, you're not going to break me. You know, but it was. It's not a hard course if you are in your shape for it or whatever uh but scuba school is, is a different animal i mean uh there's a lot of athletes that can run jump and do pull-ups but you get their head underwater mm. and they can't function and it's not just swimming it's literally being able to survive and and i'll tell you two things about scuba school the first one uh is is uh, there's there's a it's called a harassment swim and this is towards the end of the course. You go in, we, I, I was with uh, Gary McGuire to, to this day, a good friend of mine. He was uh, my, my scuba buddy. And uh, we're in there. We got our tanks. We got a regulator, mask, and fins. And what the instructors come doing, they start taking your stuff off. Oh, shit. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they'll take your mask off and yeah. then, you know, you know and, okay, we'll suck it up. And then they take my regulator off, literally take it off the tank. Oh. <laughs> so now I'm buddy breathing with my guy. But if, if one of us goes up, you're both fail. So uh, it's getting rough because now they come and they take your tanks and they, you know, there's always a little elbow shot in there or something like that. And yeah,
0: they're not kindly coming They're, they're not going to say, please uh, give uh, me yeah. this. They're smacking
1: you upside <laughs> the head. So Gary and I, we have our legs locked around the mm. tank and we're breathing out of the tank without a regulator. Mm. So you open it up, you get all those bubbles, <gasps> take a breath, give it to the other guy and... And all of a sudden, you know, because of all the movement, we got a bunch of guys in there. One of the masks kind of starts floating over, and Gary picks it up, puts it on his face, clears it. And okay, now he can see. The instructor saw that. Oh, and uh, you know, the uh, the old masks—it's uh, before your time because of all the the modern show. But the old t- uh, had a ring around the glass and a screw like this on the top—an actual screw. Uh, yeah, too. it was a screw with a <laughs> bolt. You know, and uh, so you had this metal protrusion there, and. <laughs> The guy was his name was Sweeney. We never forgot he was a seal. The, all the instructors were SEAL in this class, and he um, when Gary and Gary's it was his fault because he smart he was a smartass. When the the instructor came, he took his mask off and, and handed it to him. He said, "Put it back on," and then he took the mask and went like this and pulled it like like oh, a oh. boom and let it go and cut him right across oh. the eye. And of course Gary went like this, started going up. I'm holding him down. Um, so that was, and that was, I mean, you're talking a swimming pool that hasn't been cleaned in in years because that's what they want. They want that algae, they want all that crap there that you can't see. The other, the other cool story from from school to school, as far as I'm concerned, um, we used to do thousand, fifteen hundred, twenty five hundred, and five thousand meter swims. Five thousand. Five thousand know? meter swims. <sighs> Well, no, you have gear on. I mean, you know, you you know, it's you're breathing. 5, no, meters. it's it's. You've got yeah. to be in
0: massive shape. Yeah. How do you get in shape to to because you know I think you swimming swim? is one of the best exercises. You swim. There is. You swim. You just get the yeah. endurance through swimming because yeah. they ain't going to have on yeah. The
1: rescue was very good at preparing a sore seals. Um, we literally in in uh, in Lackland when we were doing preconditioning, we did pool work every single day, and then when we went to uh, our medical the first medical phase. You know, when you're a you're an EMT too. That's when you come out as.
0: Yeah, I saw that. I was, I was thinking to myself, how are you doing all this, and you're working with the fire department.
1: Well, the the, the fire department went it started when I went to the reserves. And that was seventy four. 74 ish, yeah. Uh, very good memory, but uh, th- this the, the one part of the story here is that we were we were going to have like a two thousand meter swim that night. And they said, you have a night swim today. We want you to show up at five o'clock. This is fairly early on. It was a, our first big, big swim. So it was 1,500 or 2,000 meters. And we show up in the classroom and they said, we're gonna watch a movie. You're like, what? We're, we're watching a movie to go, we just put You know on the there's diving. a
0: catch coming somewhere, <laughs>
1: right? Yeah. Blue water, white death. It was the first documentary made about <laughs> the sharks. <laughs> the great white <laughs> oh sharks. God so and much for a movie huh yeah so we're watching this and everybody's you know everybody's butt's getting tighter and tighter we had one guy that had to be literally pushed off the boat but there's madness to their methods we all swam our asses off and when you came in you gave this the, the the instructor your number and he would log in your time at the end when we were all lined up he says from now on this is the minimum time you can do oh. in a two meter swim because we were all kicking like hell because we wanted to get the hell out of that water. So a little psychology to the phys- physical aspects of it. It's pretty cool. That is so cool. Yeah. Give me one more. That was a good one. One more good one. Um, I mean, I did a lot of diving afterwards. I think that uh, what, what really brought all this together and, again, part of the forging that we were talking to when when we were in, in – uh, when I was working with the Contras, which was the Sandinista, anti-Sandinista, anti-communist guerrillas that, that – uh, freedom fighters that we were supporting down there um i came up with an idea of using of training some of these mosquitoes who were lobster divers um and we blew up a port in puerto cabezas that was the operation so it was uh we started out with six guys two washed out from my selection and they spent three weeks with me doing compass swims and kicks and doing you know body breathing all the stuff that we've talked about um and then we put the team together with the called the barracudas there's really a good picture of it in the book uh when when I, the when headquarters came in with a requirement they said look you guys are doing raids and ambushes that that's cool but we need we need a left hook we need something that is really going to get the sandinistas attention so i came up with that idea and i went back to headquarters and said i want to blow up the puerto cabezas pier tell me how to do it but i'm gonna i'm gonna approach it by the by the ocean so that what you see in that photograph that's in the book, it's 80 pounds of, of C4 in a torpedo-shaped um, uh, bomb. And it's not that easy because you have to get it the buoyancy just right so it doesn't float and drag you up or sink and you have to drag this thing. So we, we just getting it to float exactly neutral was, was a bear. And, um, you know, that that's how we did it, swamming it to the— uh, Underneath the pier and under the Sandinistas' noses, hooked it up, and did him out, back out, and four or five hours later, the thing blew up. And oh, my God. And, and the importance <laughs> yeah. of that, well, yeah, the importance of Puerto Cabezas was that was the logistical belly button for all their military aid coming out of Cuba. Oh, okay. So the uh, the, the, uh, the Puerto Cabezas pier literally had tubes for oil that could be pumped in, and that's where all the military supplies would come in. So that was the idea. Here's you have you have a place where it's really going to kick them in the nuts. And that was the concept. But that was also you know if I had not had the, the scuba training and the confidence that I had in, in able to train people and send them in harm's way, I w- would have not been able to do that one.
0: Now, at this time, this is like 72, 73. No, this 73. is
1: actually uh I I was in, her, in in that program from 81 to 84. Okay. Three, and, a little over three years.
0: And where's the Cold War at right now? Because when I looked up, I, I looked up how long it was and it said 41 to like 91.
1: Yeah. I mean, the Cold the, the Cold War never went away. Okay. Let, let's face it. I mean, there there was a uh, a distraction called terrorism. You know, um, and I preached about this all the time. Co- you know, communism, which is our, our main Cold War problem, um, it's like a cancer. It's going to kill you. It's going to destroy you. But it takes time, and you have time to go get medical help or whatever it is. But terrorism is like getting shot. If you don't do self-help, put a tourniquet on, have your buddy get it, whatever, you're dead. Mm-hmm. So the same thing came politically. When terrorism became an international event rather than a lo- local event, like me in Latin America, me in the Philippines, when it became an international event, um, you know the prioritization of the stuff that we have to do, every government agency follows especially the cia by the way what the president tells you you got to do we don't do anything that it isn't without the approvals that's another myth that this book will 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 show in 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 great detail and in
0: the book you make a a great transition from the cold war to terrorism you make it real smooth to understand because you know it was going on 41 to 91 yeah. but then terrorism came and then it was like the cold war was blanketed still going on still fighting yep. you know still watching out but the terrorism was such an impact and you you made that transition easy to to pick up yeah. on that that's what simple, the action was yeah <laughs> and simple was basically like the cold war was here terrorism came uh the cold war just got blank. you know a bunch of blankets and pillows over yep. it and this is what we're worried about yeah you know, and then the Cold War wasn't really talked about.
1: Yeah, you know, it's it's a of, Look, you know, this as a businessman, you know, overhead is everything, and, and you also have to prioritize your resources, whether manpower, intellectual, or financial. Um, you know, when when the uh, when the government tells us these are the priorities, well, we go as far down in that list as you can. But let's face it, you want to get those first one or two really knocked in because that is your that is your grade that's what you're being tested on that's what you're being assigned so it's not like we stopped looking at communism uh I think the one of the mistakes we made and we're paying for it now is we really um, turned a blind eye on on our backyard in Latin America you know and look what we have even between Cuba and the the Nicaragua ones by Venezuela and now Colombia yeah. going in that direction uh we we took that's that's one that we took our eye about because that became not part of the cold war minimal because that's where we go after these folks is in third world countries that's where you meet the ukrainians and the yugoslavs and the chinese and all that that's where we try to recruit them is overseas but the uh, the, uh, the 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 focus on helping latin america survive and be able to fight back some of these uh, communist and, and tr- who were we took the eye off that ball, and we're paying dearly for that right now.
0: I, d- I didn't know all this until I read that, and the first thing I thought: negligence, complete negligence. And then the result of the negligence, when like you said, when you take your eye off, look what happened. Just like, uh, in my opinion, Putin. Right. You let him. He saw Biden in there. I I don't care about blue, red. I don't. I care about who's best. Yep. But Putin saw he could
1: get away with it, and he made his move. You know, you're, you're spot on. And let me tell you, I don't, I don't do politics either. I'm an yeah. intelligence officer. Yeah. You know, I, I work on facts and I don't have access to facts anymore. Right. Yeah. But I'll give you an example. Jimmy Carter. Mm. Jimmy Carter was a very decent man, a very nice, a very smart man, but a very naive man. And he was also a milk toast. Communism and terrorism are done by Predators. And when you sit across the table, like I have, recruiting a terrorist or working with police guys that have thrown people off of buildings, they got to look you in the eye and go, yeah, if I bite this guy, he's going to bite me back. Carter takes over. Soviet Union invades Afghanistan. Our hostages in Iran that happened under his watch. They were kept for 444 days. Wow. Panama Canal given, given up now security for it is done by the chinese but here's the, the difference you have jimmy carter they see a weak president and they start taking advantage of it in comes ronald reagan i don't know if you know this but the day that ronald reagan was sworn in that's the day they released the hostages the very day you know how i know that because i had roger stone in no, and, and the two no.
0: things i i can only all i can hear about from him is reagan and nixon Mm-hmm. That's it. Yeah. Even though he drives me absolutely nuts, you know, he's just funny and yeah, he's crazy. Like, I, I, I've, I've <laughs> met him recently, as a matter of fact. He's crazy. Yeah,
1: um, but but it's true. I mean, it's yeah. it's uh, it's that kind of mentality.
0: Yeah, he had said he said when Reagan went in, when Reagan came in, boom. That but was you it. know, it's
1: it's no different than than the you know growing up in 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 a, in a neighborhood where you have to take care of yourself. If you let the guys take your lunch, or if you if you don't at least fight once, you, you you're gonna be you're not gonna eat. They're gonna take your lunch every week. And you know we, you're talking about Putin. That's a pet peeve of mine, because when when he invaded Ukraine, everyone went, "Oh my God, we didn't see that one coming." It's been going on forever. The first thing he said when he took over, he said, "I will reconstitute the Soviet, Soviet Union into its glory."
0: I even know that.
1: How do you do that <laughs> <laughs> by annexing, going back and taking Poland, and taking this and yeah. taking that? So what were you expecting? And then, but notice again when he did it, when he knew that he could get away with it.
0: Yep. Now, do you think he just had bad intel? or do you think he, he was like hiding in that bunker too much sick i don't i don't buy the whole sick thing for 2 seconds
1: yeah i don't know again that, that I, I don't have access your yeah, yeah. I, I don't have access to to any facts that would would mitigate that but my my, my professional historical aspect of it is that there was there's two things going on one is actually very good remember when i said earlier that we've made a decision to help our allies so we don't have to fight wars we can have them as surrogates defending their own And it's not just us. We're on the outside. From the outside. Well, we started doing that with the Ukrainians in 2015. I mean, the Ukrainians did not get two weeks training and do what they're doing. We've been in there teaching them how to run rat lines, how to do recruiting, intel sourcing, sabotage, insurgencies, covert communications. All that stuff is being taught by not only us. I mean, our our Canadian Special Forces guys have been in there uh, quite a bit, as a matter of fact so that was that was something that i don't think that was very transparent to him how good these guys had gotten um he knew that there was not going to be a reaction from the big the big muscles right. it wasn't going to happen there would be a lot of talking and a lot of barking but that that doesn't scare predators i mean you know if you're being attacked by a bear you better have a 357 because yelling ain't gonna do it no you know you're not gonna spook them away and, uh, and that's exactly what, what happened. Now, he went overconfident into Ukraine. Um, I think the other upside of this, I mean, uh, there, there's two upsides for me, and I'm being very, very uh, pragmatic about this, is the first one is the myth of Soviet military power has been shot in the ass. Yes, it has. Because you have these guerrilla <laughs> guys just kicking the dog crap out of you. Yeah. Um, the other is Putin may do exactly the opposite of what he intended to do. Remember what toppled the, the wall the first time? Yeah. Was the Afghan war. Right. When body bags coming back home in droves for years and the resources spent, um, public opinion starts to count even in a place like, like the, Russia. And he thought he was going to go in there. He went in there with a week's worth of supplies. Like, mm-hmm. pff, Yeah this is yeah. gonna be nothing yeah. I, have, I have nothing. a comedian yeah now, I'm, so. I'm running i'm running a 200 yard yeah. um, I think uh, not a marathon well he was wrong and they pay the price but i think that the, the, another benefit that can come out of this is we can if we can continue to support the ukrainians uh and continue to do a little bit more seriousness uh our embargo of them and in getting independent ourselves if we can get independent from oil and everything else like we had three or four years ago um it it will drain them and I would think that we could topple him. I think he he, he can be the second wall that goes down.
0: Yeah. I agree with you. And one thing I I don't understand and I'm not saying that we shouldn't help them or, or whatever. That's not my decision or I'm just the guy that watches the T V. But <clears throat> you know, Ukraine could have been with NATO, but they kept violating and violating and violating shit with the nuclear. Yeah. But they never mentioned that. So yeah. yeah, they're doing a great job fighting back. But if they wouldn't have been doing corrupt stuff for what ten years, oh, of tests uh, or least. even longer,
1: yeah, I mean, th- look, y- Ukrainians were Russians at one time, okay? Right. They were Soviets, so that mentality, that corruption, you know, the oligarchs, you know, the, the, the hundred billionaires that that, I bet that they love those boats. Getting oh, big, I uh, bet, yeah. You know, I, and,
0: I was thinking any second this guy's going to get popped.
1: You see, and that was my prediction that eventually these these oligarchs are going to say, you know what let's put a $50 million contract on his ass. That's like me buying you dinner. That's nothing for that. You know, and, and, um, and take the guy out. But if that doesn't happen, I think he's still going to implode because this is not going to be resolved in the next six months. No. And I don't think that, you know, the, he, foreclosure. I mean, he just he just missed out on a big payment for the first time in 100 years that Russia hasn't been able to pay their debt. So I think that, that, that that's going to be good in the long run, for us to neutralize the russian power now uh, there's another other side of that coin is china and china is extremely smart extremely patient uh deliberate um visionary and and unlike the United States, where we have three-year plans, because by the fourth year the president has to get reelected, <laughs> yeah, um, they have hundred-year plans. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> they, they have hundred-year plans. They're patient with everything. That's with it. And, you know, you may have to tweak it one way or the other, but in <laughs> and what is the end game? It's that, world domination. Yeah, that they want to be the rulers of the world, and who so, has done it longer than any other culture on this earth? The Chinese. They were the first real imperial power that kept on ticket yeah yeah
0: and i and i think the, the way i'm looking at it just the whole thing i think if i think russia and ukraine will come to a, some type of an agreement because like you said it's just going to be too much you know maybe ukraine keeps one piece and russia takes part or who the hell knows but and eventually i think it's going to be china's like the boss and yeah. And then you have like Russia, Serbia, Ukraine, what's left, whoever else is down the line. So China lets Russia stay Russia, but really China's like the boss of all of them. And then eventually they become world domination. And like you said, because they have such patience and skills and all their kids have to go into the men, I believe have to go into the military. They shut that internet off at six, which I completely agree with. (laughs) <laughs> yeah you know so they're getting educated while worried about we're worried about some green shit that's been going on for 10 billion years and you know it evolves it gets hot mm-hmm. it melts and then it gets cold again
1: yeah you know that's, it's yeah. funny you know you know there were no cars uh during the ice age <laughs> uh, right the ice age would not <laughs> end hot. because of the cars that were there right so yeah no Ch- china is the big the big term problem and um They've been very smart. They uh, they've been in 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 Africa for decades, and a lot of people go, "Why are they in Africa?" Including me, I go, "Why the hell they want Africa?" They're waiting, it's the Angle, it's, right? well, it's the resources, minerals, yeah. Oh, yeah. minerals, and ev- exactly yeah. all the minerals and all the uh, uh, th- 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 stuff there. You, geopolitically, also location for for different things. Then they got into uh, into Latin America. They've been in Latin America for quite a while. They're in Latin America. Oh yeah. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I, I don't know if that's still the case, but for the longest time, the Chinese a Chinese company had the security for the Panama uh, Panama Canal. What? Look it up.
0: Wow. Google that.
1: <laughs> the, the, the Chinese had the sec- the for the Panama Canal. Yeah, they bid, they wow. bid on they bid on it and uh, they got the. Uh, But you see, that's what the Chinese do. Their modus operandi is they'll come to country X and they go, what do you need? Oh, I need security for the port. Or, oh, I need this, that, or the other. And they'll say, well, um, I'll lend you $50 million and you pay me back in three years. How's that? And you go, yeah. Yeah when you can't pay back they own your ass they own your ass and now that you have to do whatever they say exactly and that's that's pretty much the way it's been going that's what they've done in africa that's what they're doing in latin america um and in another example when the when the taliban declared itself the new rulers of afghanistan again who was the first nation to recognize them the chinese chinese why because all those minerals that we need the for the lexuses and the, uh, you know, the, all Even these the electric chips. cars and yeah. all this kind of crap, that's where that stuff is.
0: Yeah, because I can't, you know, there's you see all the wires in there, and a lot, a couple of things we I needed, and they, you know, we got different things instead. But there was about three months when, uh, right, out, right when we kind of came out of COVID, the ch- there was a chip shortage like crazy. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And that comes from minerals, huh? Right. So yeah, all and, the metals, makes, you know, everything comes yeah, from
1: China. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know the sad thing is that we're so stupid, and I, I don't know how we get into this mindset. But our medical supplies, a lot of them come from China. There's munitions. This was on the news a couple of weeks ago. Big munitions that we were dependent on them helping us manufacture. Mm. How can, how, am I, how am I going to put myself in that situation with my number one enemy? Unless he's paid me off, too.
0: And, well, there you go. Okay. And, and you know what, Rick? You know what's crazy? A little bit different. But we had in Hote uh, Cardona, and he was working with Escobar and all them. And he did what he did. You know, long time ago, he got nailed, you know, 50 years ago or whatever. But it was, What was it, like 300, 300 million kilos of heroin, 300 million coke, kilos yeah. of coke? I mean, a ton. Mm-hmm. But back then in federal prison, when you got life, you did half. You know, they have probation, that right. did have, so you got out at 50 years, 40 right. years. So he got out, he changed his life, he's doing the right thing. And he's actually, you know, he turned into one of the, you know, came out, now he's within God, and maybe it did Good change his life. Good for him. Yeah, I'm sure it did. And when he came on, he was telling us that when they would make the drugs, there would be, all the drugs would go to every country, but the drugs that went to the U.S. was different. They would put more addictive shit in them. Yep. And that was specifically to only for the U.S. Of course. So if it went to Australia, it was clean, good yeah. to go. Yeah. But the U.S., every single thing, even marijuana, they would put an addictive property into it just for the United States.
1: Well, you know, you've got to realize that the United States, and this is not braggadocio, is the only world power that can fight the isms, communism, terrorism. You know our British allies, we love them to death. They're they're really loyal. Our our Canadian guys, the special forces, not their president, uh, are super and well respected in the community. Um, but we're we're the big boys in town, and if they take us down or if they diminish our capabilities, it allows them Thrive. to 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 take over. Um,
0: and everybody. You know, not everybody. And and I want, you, I want to ask this because, you know, defend it if you can. A lot of people think and kind of try to prove it, but you can't, that the government's involved in those tunnels and letting those drugs in. What do you feel about that? I doubt that.
1: Um, I'm not saying that at some levels uh, there's corruption because we know there's corruption. Right. Um, I mean, there's this guy named biden jr that uh, has some history about <laughs> corruption um so corruption exists in every country including ours uh, just different degrees of, of of separation um i tell you I, I can't speak for anybody else but i can tell you that in the 24 and a half years that i did in the agency i never did or saw anybody do anything that was not sanctioned by our president notice i didn't say illegal right okay United, the CIA. I heard <laughs> the CIA cannot operate in in the U.S. We are forbidden to operate in the U.S. We can't. We have right. to be overseas. Um, but there, there's two things that the agency does: collect intelligence, both open source and through sources, so sort of recruiting and breaking into bad guys' computers and you know hooking them up and all that other stuff. <clears throat> and the and the second one is covert action. We have we're the only organization that has Title 50 authorities. And Title 50 authorities is mean that if the president says this is good to go, you're supposed to be protected and be able to do whatever it takes to do. And uh, so that 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 part of it, I never saw us do anything that wasn't blessed. Uh, you, you saw the photograph of, of, of George Bush, yeah. you know, uh, when when he came over to sign the the, the lethal finding after after nine eleven. Um He was right there. I mean, I literally had that hanging in my office. He he wrote on a on a, on a piece of paper, uh, a, a CIA a, a CTC uh, stationery. He said wanted dead or alive, and he signed it and he gave it to us. That's all. So you know, that's, but that's, that's I mean, it's there. Yeah, it, it is there. So, you know, that it, the, the, there's it's so easy to come up with these um, like conspiracy, conspiracy theories. Yeah. And, you know, I think the conspiracy theories are 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 great psyops from the from our enemy because if they can plant those kind of seeds in our minds. That's a freebie for them. Yeah. You're weakening us by, by turning into each other. There is corruption. I am sure that there's some mayor or even a governor or whatever that's on the take, maybe higher. I don't know. But I don't think that there's a systematic, you know, uh, thing going on there. Yeah. It, but it is a topic that needs to be addressed because that border has to be secured.
0: Oh, that's unbelievable. I, I,
1: to me, it's, it's just, you know.
0: While America slept, China gained a stranglehold on the Panama Canal. Damn! Read a little bit of that, Rob. Yep,
2: it says uh, wow. de- decades have passed since tiny Panama ranked among Washington's big national security concerns. The 1989 U.S. invasion, notwithstanding, the two nations have enjoyed largely cordial relations since the Panama Canal handover in December 1999. A boom in canal transits that include two thirds of cargo ships traveling to and from the United States keep Panama and its globally strategic canal well within the U.S. sphere of en- hemisphere until now. Under <laughs> President Donald Trump's Ross, Washington has stood idly as China rolled into Panama and established a major hemispheric foothold alongside a waterway essential to the U.S. commerce and national wow. security.
0: Oh, yeah. Hell. And there you go. Just like. Much as former President Jimmy Carter mm-hmm. was blamed for negotiating the treaties. Yep, That's I mean possible. you said that verbatim. Not that I didn't believe it, but that, just to pull it up for the audience, it. I lived yeah, it. I you mean, I literally it. lived
1: it. You know what they did is they 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 had the security and they built two facilities on either side of the canal. And the, the theory is that those are to shut down the canal if if, if in case of war.
0: And I, I want you to see this. Click on the uh, next tab. It says former CIA. Now, when you saw this, I don't know if you did see this. Did you see this? Yeah. Now, how does this? I mean, you know, you know this. You this, know, this this guy. This guy first one of all, we'll, yeah. But, well,
1: know. look like everything else. We we've had a couple of of really inside people, like Ames and and, and a few others, Nicholson, who I unfortunately met. Uh, Scroll and, down a little, little bit. But the um th- this this guy was actually I, I believe a contractor, um and and of course. Um, the Chinese are very influential with the community uh, and y- you got to understand that there's such a big difference between the way that we do business and how the Chinese yep, yep 1982. Like you said patience. Patience. They mm. have the patience but uh, you know Chinese in, 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 in communist countries when they recruit somebody as a source, they have no problem recruiting for weaknesses. We try to recruit for strengths. I want somebody who is ideologically compatible to me saying, Your country is all screwed up. They're getting in there. They're going to destroy your family. Help me help you. That's a recruitment from strengths. The Chinese will have a businessman go over there, and all of a sudden they come irresistibly handsome to these beautiful women and they get compromised or they you know they'll, they'll dope you up and put little kids in the room and take pictures of you there's nothing they would in 24 and a half years I never saw an inkling of a honeypot operation and a honeypot is when you use a woman or a man to seduce a target so uh, it, it is a, it's a very different game so it makes people a lot more vulnerable
0: and like you said, like that one guy, it just puts a bad rap on the CIA. Yeah. And it's the same with the cops. You know, you have one
1: cop, you know, he makes a bad decision. Now, all of a sudden, every cop's bad. Or or, or, or he's bad because there are cops. Like, just bad. like they've been in the ages, like I said, Ames and Nicholson and others. You figure with with, with us, we have a very, uh, very robust program for background investigations. And, and, you know, we we take polygraphs every few years in the agency. And they're full body I mean full, full lifestyle uh, you know polygraphs
0: how accurate do you think a polygraph is like poly, one to
1: hundred percent po- poly, polygraph is a tool uh, one of my best friends from the outfit is uh, actually has a doctorate in in, uh, in in polygraphy he's a former cop very good friend of mine he's in the book actually and um, he, he it's it's a lot of it is the operator uh, how do you p- put the questions how you're watching the individuals you see certain reactions the machines are there the machines have gotten a lot better too I mean everything with the electronic age, just like well here, you know uh, now it's all computerized, and they're retinal, you know, looking at your retinas. If they react, and all this other stuff, but it's a tool um, for us. First of all, we live in a country that, until now, it sh- it hopefully, will remain so. You're innocent until proven guilty, so you have to have you have certain rights that other other countries don't don't uh, don't, don't abide by so uh the polygraph is just a tool it's just one of those things and and as a matter of fact i've always said that one of the things that a polygraph does is has a prophylactic effect so let's say that you apply for the agency and you're getting polygraphed and you say yeah well you know when i was 21 i smoked some dope and i stole some help caps okay other than that have you done anything else nope then all of a sudden you're straight line you know that if you steal a paperclip, next time when you get your polygraph three years down the road, you're going to ping. So it does have that prophylactic aspect to it, but it is primarily a tool. It's one of the many tools in, in, in the counterintelligence side of the house.
0: Now, before you uh, joined the CIA, give me a, one, one of the a crazy story Right before you joined the CIA and went that route, when, when you're climbing up. In the, I mean, you flew through the ranks, Rick. I mean, you really did.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I was fortunate. I never planned my career. Uh, I just followed my heart. I mean, I, I always knew what I came to do with the agency was the shit that other people didn't want to do. Uh, we have a saying is if it's easy, State Department can do it. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know if, if it's hard, that's that's what we're supposed to do. And for hard things, you have to have, have hard people. Um but you know, b- before going into the agency, there there, there, you know, I was a paramedic in Metro day County in the seventies, and you know those those were, that, I mean, that, that was cocaine heaven, right? Cocaine heaven and the gang wars How? and the shootings and everything else. So I, I became a, I mean, I was already a pararescue and EMT too, but now three times a week i'm patching somebody or starting ivs in somebody's eyeball or something you know
0: yeah like how bad was it in the 70s when when
1: coke is written down here and everything else we we had we had shootings uh constantly um real you know colombian gang kind of stuff but uh you know we were talking a little earlier about things you cannot unsee and there's two two things that happened to me when i was in, in in uh first responder, and I'm and I'm. I like saying it because we take for granted what our first responders see. Can you imagine those guys that open that wagon in mm-hmm. Texas, whatever else it was, with forty some people dead inside of there, no. men, women, and children. How do you erase that out of your mind? Impossible. Impossible. You have no heart. You, you have, well, yeah, you're a psychopath if you can. Yeah, right. And, and so our first responders have, have a duty. The, the, the first one that was really bad for me was, um, and I was even riding rescue. I was on a regular fire truck, but I was already MT qualified. There was an incident in a, in a, in a, in a big construction site, and one of the pylons, as there was being put in, there was a young man, about 18, 19 years old, in the hole, guiding it in, and the thing snapped. And it crushed him against the wall. That was the first time I saw the lights go out of somebody's eyes. You know what made it worse? When I looked to my right, his father. Oh. who's was standing there.
0: Oh, that's bad. That's bad. Yeah. That's a bad one.
1: And the other one, and, and that one, I don't know if that one's in the book, but the other one is in the book. Um, I, I don't think that, that one. No, I, I don't think that, that one was in the book and I can talk about it because it was before the agency anyway, so. Um, you're good, you're good but, to go. Yeah, I'm good to go. <laughs> Nobody's going to come yeah. in and shoot us, nope, us right now, no, right? Well, <laughs> bring,
0: bring no, well, break three because I'm taking right. two with me. I already got I'm, two in my hand, I mean, <laughs> so it doesn't matter. And One was a hollow point. Ooh. I got fragments in there. Yeah. Ooh, nice. Right leg, yeah, it feels great.
1: But the second one was uh, uh, a nine-year-old kid. He knew how to swim, and he went into the house, got some orange juice, and he's walking on the edge of the pool, slips, hits his head, falls in the water. And the mother was in the kitchen. We don't know how long it was, but she saw, and she called nine one one and went over there and got him out. But he, you know, he he been underwater. water, and we got there. We were the first unit in, and my partner grabbed him, put him on his legs, started getting... We're in we're in the back of the rescue truck, and if you've seen the fire trucks and the rescue trucks, the floor is that diamond steel kind of crap. Yeah. So he's sitting on a on a, on a little bench like thing with a kid in his in his in his laps giving them chest compressions. I'm on my knees, getting them mouth to mouth. The mother jumps in the front seat and now we're hauling ass to the hospital, South Miami Hospital. And this kid vomits in my mouth three times. Ooh. Now, you know what I did every time? You took it like a man for the kid. I turned my face, I spat it out, went back to mouth to mouth. Damn right. I'll I did that three times. My knees, you know, were on the ground. So we get to the hospital, and it, it's a cute store part of the story which is a very dramatic story but you know when we got to the hospital the, the doctors actually said good job guys he's nice and pink that means we had got him oxygenated and as soon as he got on that gurney um the doctor says hey guys we're good you, you can go it was like unplugging me all of a sudden i started i smelled the rancid orange juice puke that i had all over oh, my shirt yeah. my knees my pants were torn i was bleeding in my knees and tough rick right the nurse says are you okay i go yeah <laughs> <laughs> and she literally grabbed me put stuff under my nose because once that adrenaline wore off, off. All, all that stuff hit me and i actually went home i, I went back to the chief and said i I need a break. I
0: need a break after that, right? So,
1: but that, that that story is important because we have people that do this every day in our country, and we assume that they don't have issues with it.
0: And and they don't they don't recognize it. No, they they recognize bullshit. Yeah, you know, instead of all this depressing shit all the time, yeah. well, why not talk? Why not talk about something like that? Okay, you want to you know talk about all the bad stuff? Well, why not talk about a Green Beret or a Marine that dived in and or a paramedic that, you know, kid was definitely done for, yeah. you know, getting 40000 a year, defunded, you know, probably took his benefits because took his pension. God knows what they're doing, yeah. you know, but didn't care anyway. Jumped in a pool, let's say 50 gazillion feet, got the kid, puked cool. in his mouth. But, you know, yeah. that won't go on TV. Yeah. But it should, it should. you know, It shouldn't be all should. the bullshit.
1: And what you said earlier, having somebody on the – the uh the uh, mental health part who can actually be identifiable somebody that can talk to somebody with leg listen i've been there i know exactly what you're talking about
0: yeah yeah i say that because after what happened with my leg i went to 30 40 therapists over the years really and i walk in and as soon as they said how's your day see you here's your 120 see you and then finally i walked (laughs) into to uh uh this one therapist and he goes how the fuck are you ever going to get a job with that gold chain on and i said that's my guy there and i and i went to him for eight no bullshit no bullshit yeah and it wasn't like hey you know what happened at home yeah, yeah blah 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 it was for at least two months not a word about anything it was Get that gold chain off. Get the earrings out. You want to be a professional businessman, or you want to be some thug, some clug? Right. You know, and and he would say "fuck." And for me, I was like, okay, this isn't going to be. I could relate. I can, relate. Pay, I I can, can relate. relate. I'm not going to go home and take notes, buddy. Yeah. You know, and and it, we yeah. had a great relationship with him until yeah. he messed up.
1: You know, one came across my mind that has to do with a psychiatrist when um when I was in the southern uh, south um South American uh, country that they didn't allow me to talk mention by name. That i recruited terrorists and all that other stuff um are you allowed to say
0: how you re- recruited the terrorists?
1: yeah it was uh, it was a coercion it was primarily uh through um working with some of our f- friends in, in, in the local um police or whatever
0: south america's got to be tough
1: it was this was a very bad group these guys were maoist and and very lethal and uh, very they were they were in the city they were doing things in the city and uh what, what happened was we knew that he was part of a cell we had them under surveillance. We had their phones bugged and all this other stuff. And uh, he was what you call a mule. He used the guy that used to carry the explosives to a particular area and hand it to the bad guys. But he was a, spot, uh, a pot smoker. And in mm. that in that organization, that's a no-no. Mm. If he got him caught with that, he would have been <laughs> copped. So when we busted the cell, all these guys went into interrogation. They pulled him aside. And that's when my friend said to him, says, i got an offer you can't refuse and i came in i was a uh, allegedly a central american business office uh businessman and i just said to him so look this is real easy you tell me information so i don't care about communism politics i'm a businessman i don't give a shit. i don't even give a shit about your country <laughs> i give a shit about my clients that i can say stay away from this area because something is going to happen and it happens you do that, you go 200 bucks a week.
0: And an ounce of weed. <laughs> <laughs> no, that he's got to get on his own. <laughs>
1: but if you lie to on me once, you go back to Bubba. And he accepted and he ran and he gave us some really good information, Bam, That's so it, awesome. It was, it, was, it, it was coercive, yeah. But when, when, I was, when I was there, that's when I put in for the Philippines. And the psychiatry you know, a f- a section from the agency called me in. They wow. wanted to know why I was going from danger post to danger post to danger post to danger post. To danger post. I, know, I saw.
0: And, I was seeing them in the book. Rather, I'm like, holy
1: fuck. Yeah, and and I'll never forget. What was it this, you you've been to? Yeah. Well, I, I've been, I've operated uh permanently you know years in, in six different places oh uh God. but i've i've been to at least 50 countries operationally huh. through, throughout my life <laughs> <So> <laughs> who are you yeah right <laughs> I mean. hard working American, <laughs> but you know I, yeah, I but, but he, re, t- true you just hit on something that's worth mentioning you know, tommy i'm not that unique inside the agency there are a lot of guys and gals like me and and i try to do that in the book i think you saw how many times i make examples of bosses or subordinates that did things that were above and beyond.
0: You compliment your team a lot. Well,
1: it, because it, well it, it, you have to have a you, team, right? You have to. Because how the fuck are you going to go in one of these places and not be prepared? Well, and, and you know, um, even with all the training that we have, we have, we have a saying, you know, when, when we go through the, I know it's a secret, the farm, nobody's supposed to know that, everybody knows exactly where it's at and everything <laughs> else, but uh, when you go through the farm and you come out of there, you think you're Mario Andretti. You just went through high school driver school. <laughs>
0: yeah, but you don't know nothing, right? Yeah.
1: So now you have—it's all. Most of our real training comes under OJT. Mm. Now you have—that's where a chief of station a deputy chief of station sits you down and goes, "Okay, how are you going to go there? How are you going to do this? Show me the map. What are you on? What are you going to say to them? What are your questions? How are you going to hide the information? Blah blah blah. It's—it's—it's it's, it's OJT. So it, it is that process. But for me, I always gravitated to those places that not everybody was volunteering for, and I loved it. But but again, to me, it sounds like because of what you came from, it was just kind of like
0: your mission, that you wanted the hard work because you grew up in that war-ridden nightmare, and you didn't want that here. Mm-hmm. So it's almost maybe subconsciously you wanted to go there and knock them out so that what you had to deal with growing up never would happen here
1: yeah just, well it, and it, so it wasn't subconscious to tell you the truth it, it was very conscious and i and i can tell you the day that i grew a conscience why i was uh my first year of junior college i was a miami-dade junior college and this is 1971 early 71 and um the hippies put a, a note on on the bulletin board tomorrow 12 o'clock we're going to put down the we're going to take down the american flag and we're going to burn it and protest for uh Vietnam. And I went, no, you're not. So I called. I didn't have any friends in college, so all my friends were still out pumping around the street. I called two or three of my friends over. We came over. And When the hippies showed up, it was about 15, 20 of them. I think it was five of us. It wasn't a fair fight for them. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> when there were torn t shirts and uh, beads all over the floor, and these guys were hightailing, you know, all these assholes and elbows going to the other end, I looked up and I saw the American flag in an azure blue sky, waving. And it was the first time in my life that I actually felt proud of doing violence. Because I was always getting into scraps and fights and stuff like that. It was six months later, I was in pararescue. Well, remember, <clears throat> your dad
0: sent you over to get out of that shit. That's right. Then you it's kind of like you, you saw see that it flag yeah. and reminded, and your dad said, I'll be there. Yep. So it was kind of like you saw that flag, you put those three together... To me, that's... that's My my
1: dad was the biggest influence in my life. He was from the very beginning. And and, uh, until the day he died, he died uh, in my arms. Sorry to hear that. Yeah, Yeah, he lived, uh, the the last five years of his life was was, was with us, and and that was a a great, great closure for us. But my dad taught me so much, not by what he said, but what he did. To take a 10-year-old kid, your only child, and put him on an airplane to a country that you've never been, not sure that you're going to be able to see him. Not for financial gain. Not because of anything else other than you don't want your child to grow under that kind of a regime.
0: That's a father that loves you.
1: That is true. That is true love. That's that, The ultimate sacrifice. You know, that's mm-hmm. the jump in the grenade kind of stuff. So, you know, that example alone, my God, if my dad is willing to put his only child on an airplane, how am I not going to go to this agent meeting and try to recruit the scumbag or take this house down or or break into this terrorist safe house which i did and bug the place that kind of stuff you know um he he was the courage he was the real bastion yeah tell me how you do that how do you break into a
0: terrorist place sneakily and bug it
1: very carefully
0: very carefully (laughs) um what you can say yeah, yeah there's I, I there's, one, there's, there's, yeah. there's one that is i don't want you to because no. i don't want some fuck to watch this and mm, get an idea yeah, either so yeah,
1: no the that's true too no the, uh, the the one that is in the book um and it's one of my favorites because uh, we, we had a um again through our allies we knew that there was a safe house i was hoping you'd tell us yeah, yeah it was a safe house <laughs> and it's um but it was it belonged to a girl it belonged to a girl who happened to be dating a cop and the cop found out about it, and he was one of our friends. So we came together. We put together a uh, a table, very crude, because these people are very, very poor. So this is a homemade. We did it at the station, in the embassy. We had a you know a guy there that could do that kind of stuff, and it had batteries in the legs, so he could run for a long time. And then it had the microphones on both sides. And all she had to do when they showed up was pull this one little nail out and walk out. Well, the first time that she pulls the nail and thing goes off you know we're going to know but in order to do this so we put the chair the table in there and uh, because she had to sit there not knowing anything and transmitting for for quite a while because you don't want anything untoward and now we have a observation post which was a, a building a very high building maybe a block or so away but because you have to do this very low frequency because if not people can detect you know the, the when, they, the, come to when they come to bug it, run the bugs exactly. Um, they, they, you have to run something called a path loss test. I didn't know what the hell that was, but plainly the techs are telling me, look, dumb shit, go down there, walk in front of the of that safe house back and forth, and as you go, be pushing this button, and we'll tell you, you know, what what frequencies you need for the mission that you want us to p- hook together for. <laughs> so i didn't i didn't bathe for a couple of days i didn't shave for a couple of days i had some clothes i had gotten locally so i looked like just a bum you know and so i'm walking down and my, my my buddy alex drops me off in the corner and he was my backup he actually stayed there for, a former la cop badass real badass guy and uh but he's tragically white so he couldn't get it near you know any any closer than that yeah. so i'm walking <laughs> literally i'm walking i walk past the house and as soon as I am right in front of the door, the door burst open and five of these guys come out. They had a soccer ball. They were going to go play soccer. And they literally bumped into me. Now, I had one hand on the button pushing. I had my other hand on my gun. And for a guy like me to eat crow takes a lot. My first thought was there's there's only five of them and I got 15 rounds in my Browning High Power. But then... The point of the story is in, in my world, the minute you do this, your mission is compromised. Mm-hmm. So I just play the poor cholo, hey, oh man, perdona me, you know, I, I'm sorry, you know, and they push me around and laughing. I'm going, you, you You, just tab, you have yeah. no yeah. idea and how you bad. You got 15 in there. You know, so how you badly got I want to Yeah, I want to pop you in the head. But um, we laugh about it now, but I tell you what, you talk about a pucker. And I, I I ask I remember Alex um, telling me he says, "Yep, uh, I, I saw it coming." And I say, "Yeah, I heard you rock your shotgun." He says, "How'd you hear that?" I said, "I literally, even though it was that far, I heard that clank clank." And I went, "Okay, I got some backup."
0: Yeah, because uh, that would be a big hole coming in. Yeah, Yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> of course I was still there, so I get, But anyway, yeah, um, that's uh, that's how we do it. I mean, it's it's a chess game. It's you got to have some patience. You got to that's why you develop the the people. That can help you do these things. You know, if, if you're an American and you go to a place like Nicaragua or you go to a place like Venezuela and you try to do operations on your own, um, you're going to stand out as a sore thumb. You've got to have some allies, some surrogates, people that you can work through. Assets, assets. right? Like exactly. You
0: talk a lot about assets. Assets, yeah. Because assets, and they're not always people. That, that's For what sure. I didn't realize until I got through the book. When I think of an asset and a CIA agent, I'm thinking – immediately I'm thinking a rat, cooperator. Mm-hmm. Sometimes an asset could just be a building, right? That's right. It could be a place to store arms. That's right. Like It, it right. could be a number of things. Yeah, Whatever, whatever think, it takes. When you think of an asset like yeah. a CIA, you think a guy.
2: People, yeah. Tie the fucker yeah. up and get yeah. them to tell you what cool. you want. Right. Drown how, them. Yeah. yeah. How do you just yeah. – how do you – God, I'm thinking about this, right? I'm sitting here. Awesome. I haven't really talked much because I'm just, like, so into it, listening to it. So, I mean, I'd be sweating, pouring sweat. <laughs> like, how do you get – like, honestly, I know through your training and through all that type of stuff, but psychologically, how do you go into something and go, this is a really bad place. This is a really bad situation. <laughs> One little thing, I'm dead. Yeah. And keep that calm and that cool How?
1: Well, and, and there's another element that you got to understand because I've been in harm's way in the more kinetic sense. And then the contra things will so get in firefights with bad guys on that. Um, there's a difference between when you have to do things. And you're hot and the other is doing things when you're cold. You you know, yes, your heartbeat is up, but, you're, you know, you're you're not angry. I'm not going to go. You know, you're doing something smooth. You're going into a particular area and. I, I think it's, it's a complex thing. First of all, I think that those of us who gravitate to that kind of work are wired for, yeah. for that. Yeah. You know, you got to be able to, and I always have, I've always had that. And as a matter of fact, I realize that now because writing the book and introspection, but when I got into the, to, uh, to the airport to leave Cuba, the last thing I remember is looking back, There was a, they call it the fishbowl because it was all glass and it had a small wall, and my mom and dad were behind it my mom was blowing snot bubbles and my dad was biting his lip i don't remember anything else after that until i got to miami i don't remember walking into the plane i have no idea where i sat on the plane i don't remember getting off the plane my my memory comes back when i'm coming out of the airport and there's a priest there with a sign to pick us up um that's that you just tunnel vision. I mean, you you're just kind of like, and I, I think that's part of that grooming training. We do a lot of training you have to cap confidence, but if there's one thing that you have to have patience, no, you gotta believe that what you're doing is worth doing. Mm. Mm. No man or woman can go into harm's way to that degree that our soldiers do and that our police officers do some police officers don't go to the sound of gunfire. We just saw that. You know, yeah. It's a very sad statement, but it does happen. You know, there's there's cops and there's cops. There's GI Joes and there's GI Joes and there's CIA guys and there's CIA guys, like, every, mm-hmm. like in every other culture. But you have to really, truly believe that what you uh, are doing, you're doing it for the right reasons, for the right purpose, and... I, I'm a Christian. Uh, I believe in God. I don't go to church, but I, I pray to him every single day, usually twice a day, talk to him incessantly, help me. Uh, <laughs> uh, but at the end of the day, I can look in the mirror and know that I have not done anything that wasn't for the right reasons.
0: And if you can do that, then y- Good you to live them? in peace, GTG, right? yeah. I mean, that's it. Is there anything, like you're
2: going through all this crazy stuff, are you afraid of anything, a spider, a snake, uh, not like I'm, something?
1: I'm afraid of fucking up. Uh, <laughs> that's one of the things that scares me to death. Um, Nothing. No, I mean, it, it, I don't have any phobias, let's put it that way. Yeah. You know, I don't have a problem with heights, God knows that. I, I love, love jumping and I stopped after my neck finally gave up. Um, I, I'm not afraid of snakes or spiders. I mean, I think all 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 good snakes and all good spiders are the dead ones. So I just kill them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I I just think that if you believe in what you're doing, uh, and you have to have the wiring. But if you believe that you're doing this for the right reasons, I think God strengthens you for that. I think that you know you 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 yourself steal yourself. But there is this this Holy Spirit aspect of our personalities, whether you believe in. in no matter what you believe, you know there's something in us that, that hooks us up to something else.
0: All right. So now it's, what, it's the eight, 1980, and you join the CIA, right? What are some of the tests and things that they make you do to get into the CIA Well, I, that I, you can speak of?
1: Yeah, and I can answer that pretty easily, but you got to understand that I came into the CIA back door. Uh, I'm, that's where one of the anomalies of my career. Um, when when I uh, um, when I was a pararescue, my, my goal was to go to Vietnam. By '74, I knew they were not going to send me. And there was no Vietnam to be had, so I wrote a letter to the agency, handwritten letter, to the agency saying, "Hey, look, you know, I speak a couple of languages. I'm, I'm I'm a ninja para-rescue man, and I'm free and single and love to mingle, and you know, I want to work in Air America or something."
0: Right, you know, right, right. Ignorance. We I mean, just,
1: you know, superficial. I have well, no idea. Right.
0: You got to tell me this. What's a ninja? A ninja
1: pararescue? I know yeah, just, para-rescue. just, well, just ninja is, a, is a, you know, you do all the, the fighting stuff and the shooting stuff, you know?
0: I know what I wanted to ask. I'm sorry to interrupt you. What was the highest you jumped from?
1: 14,000. I think 15,000.
2: Ah. Fuck, no. Uh,
0: how How was underwater. that?
1: Oh, second only to good sex. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> that, must
0: that must have been one hell of an adrenaline rush, right? It, it is a, it is a nice What rush. Now, what's that feel like? When you're jumping 14 feet, what's the first thing
1: you feel up there? You know, it's, it's funny because the, the misconception is that it's an elevator thing. You don't. You do not feel like you're falling. No? You feel like you're accelerating because you are. You're dropping at 110 miles an hour. Wow. And that's what you feel. And, and the coolest part of skydiving is when you're dropping at 110 miles an hour and you go into what's called a delta where you move your arms back and straighten out and put your legs out. And now you're going 60 miles an hour this way while dropping 110 this way. That's wow. heavy-duty shit. Now, how do you level that to land correctly? Well, you're, you're, when you're flying, you're literally flying like an airplane. You know, your body has to be in a position that you're balanced. Wow. You could turn by doing this. This is how you make your turns. And then you go and pull and you do your stuff. But under canopy, now you're not moving that fast. Canopies have maybe 20 mile an hour forward speed, and that's why you have to turn them into the wind. Because if not, you're 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 landing too too hot. But the the feeling is exhilarating. Um, if 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 you ever get the edge, do a tandem. Uh, our our grandson, our oldest grandson. Uh, just turned 18, and he got his first skydive. That was my gift. Mm. Did and he love it? Oh, oh, my God, he's hooked. Well, but everybody in my family except my wife has jumped. My daughter <laughs> jumps. Her husband jumps. Both my boys, of course, they got they got jumps. But, uh, yeah, you you do not feel that. Uh, uh, I, I think one of the things that gets people is when they first open up that airplane door, and, and all of a sudden they see, you know, they're that altitude. and But once you literally step out, all that goes away. You know, you, you're... You don't feel anything other than exhilaration because you're going so fast, and and it's thrilling. And you, you see it in camera every time people go, "Wow!" That's the first thing they say, you know, when they're on a tandem. I know? always
0: think I'm gonna have a heart attack if I did it. Yeah, no, it's yeah. safe.
1: Yeah, it, it. Look, if you I mean, drive it's safe a, co- a safe it, yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, you know, there's people that bounce. Uh, it happens, f- not frequently, but it happens. But there's so many safety uh, things there, and and the guys and gals that do this. Um they got years of, of experience, especially the tandem. You have to have at least I think it's two thousand jumps to be a tandem instructor. Damn. To, to mm-hmm. jumps How many times do you think you jumped? A couple of hundred, two hundred and something or something that's like funny. that. <laughs> yeah, that's plenty. Yeah, especially <laughs> a lot of them. Well you saw the picture in the my favorite photo in the book is the one with scuba my my full uh scuba jump. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, is it
0: on the website?
1: Uh it yeah, it is on the website. Well website. Uh, is. Too. That yeah. is my that one and my barracudas with a bomb are my two favorite uh, go-to pictures. And and um, that that photo uh, was taken in July at Homestead Air Force Base.
0: That's really cool right there. Yeah, that's
1: okay. That's
0: okay. Yeah. Uh, it's my lovely wife. That's okay. That's, your lov- that's a nice gun right there. Yeah, that's
1: an MP5K. What's that, an AK right here? That is, I can't see it. I can't see that's it. A, uh, no, it's an M4. M4. Yeah. Oh jeez yeah this book's this great <laughs> but uh yeah it should be it's a, in one of those pictures uh, roll it roll it roll it pretty sure they have it on there go up
0: God damn. maybe it's at the top under uh um, no no no
1: isn't. didn't I, I thought they had the uh no, the scuba but anyway yeah well that gives you a reason to come back again <laughs> there you go i'll come back with it with the photograph I had uh, uh, it's July and August in in, uh, in in South Florida. I'm at Hol- Homestead Air Force Base. I got a quarter inch wetsuit, complete, and um, I have you have double 20, uh, 42s, forty twos. You're a diver. You know, mm-hmm. usually use eighty twos and ninety. We, in the Navy, we use ninety twos. What's a ninety two? It's it's the psi, the oh, the, 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 PSI. the cubic inches that they they Definitely. have and what they hold, and uh, that's how much air they have. But for, for us jumping out of an airplane, we had twin forty twos because they were smaller, and, you know, you can compact them. So you have your tanks on, and on top of the tanks is your main parachute. Then in the front, you have your reserve. Then underneath the reserve, you have a 28-pound medical kit <laughs> <laughs> with an M4. Well, <laughs> back then, it was an, uh, an AR-15, AR-15? Uh, in, in, in your, uh, over the bag. And then you oh, have shit. on your butt, you have a two-man inflatable raft.
0: Well, that's good to have.
1: Well, because primarily it's not for us. It's for whoever we're rescuing. We have to jump in the water to get somebody out of a, a, a shipwreck or who's been floating out there, and you have to go help them. Um, I mean, you just don't want to be struggling with this. And so you put that boat around, open it, and then help them get on there, and that's part of the uh, part of the exercise. But it's 135 pounds of gear.
0: Mm-hmm. Wow. Jumping out of there? hmm That takes some cojones. Uh,
1: yeah, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> that was those my favorite. I love Scooby Jumps. Sorry to interrupt you. I, I, had, no, no. I, I had to hear about that. Yeah, but but you know, for for me, I, I told you that I like to read a lot, and um, the the James Bond novels were always, you know, and my favorite was always um, um, Thunderball. Thunderball, yeah, because you know these guys jumping out of airplanes into the water, being a diver, I, I just thought that was the sexiest thing you could do, and I got to do it. So that's wild. That's crazy, yeah, right?
2: That's
0: wild. All right. So now, what, what are some of the tests for the, to get into? You wrote the letter. Right. You went back door. Nice yeah. move.
1: Yep. So what, what happened was I, I applied again in 1980, uh, 79 or so. And this time, they said, hmm, you're a paramedic and you're a pararescue man. We could use you as a medic on our training or on our operations, um, but it's only part-time. I said, <laughs> i did it so that's how they got to know me the ground branch guys all, all the pm guys and you know i more than held my own i you know i, I, I could rucksack i could do whatever they want they want to fight or shoot whatever i could do it and um but it was part-time and I, 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 I couldn't have done that and then the usual Prado luck reagan comes in and declares the contra program um and, and um, they, the agency at the time did not have a single native Spanish speaking Hispanic that had my military training. They had Green Beret guys in there, but they, you know, they spoke some Spanish, but not native. I, you know, you could not fully which I, bilingual, well, yeah. which I could pull now for 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 the interest of the audience. And for what your question is, the process for getting into the agency is a little elaborate, but I'll start with some of the things that people should do if they're interested in that. You got to have an education you got to have a four-year degree of something and as far as i'm concerned if you're going to have a four-year degree in something it should be something applicable don't take social sciences you know so um in in my, in my case when i when i finally did finish my college it, it was all intercultural conflicts you know religion all the things that cause wars and conflict in the world and understanding people um so a a degree is important a master's is good but it's not uh necessarily a deal breaker uh learn a second language early they don't care if it's swahili the the concept in the agency is that if you speak a second language or if you've tackled the second language you have the wiring to tackle a third and fourth and a fifth and we do have people that are like that, that that speak multiple multiple languages um military training is a big deal Military training is a big deal. Um, I, I would say that uh, probably 30% of our, our, our officers have been in some form of military, which is, is quite a bit. When you look at the population, it's 2% that actually serves in uniform in the military at a given time. It's
0: a lot. Yeah. And you're talking about yeah. 2%. Yeah. yeah.
1: So, you know, it, um, it. it is. But, you know, the military gives us something. First of all, th- there's a diversity that exists in, in the military that doesn't exist anywhere else. You have people from all walks of life. You have Asians and, and Hispanics and blacks and Middle Eastern and everything else. And now you do 10, 15 years or 10 years in the military, even if you don't do a career, eight years. You know, you have your clearances. You've learned how to operate in harm's way. You've built that that calmness that you have to do before you jump or you do and do a room entry or whatever it is. You've learned all that um and you've been checked out you know your 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 managers have been saying yeah this guy's hot shit yeah, this is with the kind of guy so that the military provides a, a lot of that the process is is tenuous and that you know you you uh, you go now it's on the website you go on the website and you tell them that you want to be and it's a secure website it's something that people cannot you know. Uh,
0: just Not just have, any Tom Dick and Harry. E- exactly, go to, right? exactly.
1: So, uh, you go in there and you go in, you apply, and then it's just your name or whatever, and then they follow up. You'll you'll be contacted. Usually, there's a phone call. They'll talk to you a little bit. They'll call you in for an interview. Um, for those, I always tell people, you know, uh, tell the truth. Uh, even if you have some picadillos in your life, get them up front because they already know anyway. Because they're going to know anyway. Eventually, it's going to come out and uh, uh the, the the other thing is, is is have that mentality that, look, I need to get in. I don't care what they offer me. Uh, a lot of people if it's go, taking oh, you know, out oh, the trash, take yes, out the trash. I, I only right? want to be an operations officer. look if you're if you, <laughs> they tell you to give you an analyst job, you could always cross over and and, and do that. but um, the the other thing is be really aware of um, you know geopolitics, current events. That is something that's very big for us. We need to have people that understand, we don't work in the United States. Our 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 turf, our football, our game turf is overseas, so you have to know about cultures. You have to know what's making people tick. You got to know about communism, so that's that's the preparation. And then the process is tedious. I mean, you know, then you have some written stuff that they say they'll you write a paper on this. Writing is a big deal for the agency. Really. It is. You don't see James Bond doing that, do you? No. Now, have you ever seen James Bond? Do Never a seen report?
0: James Bond. And I've watched them all, I even am.
1: the old ones. Nah, me too. And I, like I told you earlier, I'm still waiting for my alpha. <laughs> I mean, I'm an Austin Martin. <laughs> <right>? <laughs> I got a pretty hopped-up Mustang, but it, it's not an Austin Martin. And um, why is writing so important? Because when we write something, when we write an intelligence report from overseas, there's three things that are really, really important. First is integrity. Because I am meeting an asset. There's nobody else there. If I embellish or if I lie or if I forget something and I make it up. Or exaggerate. Or exaggerate. you know, Kill somebody. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, so for us, that integrity is part of your writing. Uh, but because our goal is to have that policy-changing intelligence, everything we write has to be able to go to to Congress or to the Senate, intelligence communities like on the spot. So you, there's no joking. It's uh, it's it's very factual. It's got to be detailed, accurate. Uh, so writing ri- writing well and in writing succinct is a big deal with the agency, and that's why they give you something to write. If you go off on tangents, um, you know. So yeah, yeah. Well, well nothing. I don't know how you how you can
0: switch lanes so easily in the book. Yeah. I mean, you switch lanes. I mean, you're actually switching switching lanes like hard switches, but yeah. you make them seem smooth. And now I know why.
1: Yeah, I mean, my writing ability was good. Um, I had a lot of coaching um, because the part that didn't translate, and it does in the book now, I've learned it, is there's a difference between telling a story and transporting the person into that story. So I can write a, 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 an intel report or an operation after action pack that you read and you go, holy shit, yeah, this is good, so this is what happened. But you're not in there. You're just, you're just ne- hearing the results. So what I had a writing coach for a while and I would write my stuff up and he would bring it back. It was like your third grade paper with all the red marks on it and stuff. <laughs> so, you know, so what was Tommy wearing? Who gives a shit? You know, what, what, what was he think? How did you feel? What do what's feeling? You know, what? what is, you don't know, put this in our, in our traffic. And it took me that, that, that was some growing pains for a couple of months of this guy beating me over the head with a two by four and all of a sudden it clicked now i started saying yeah you know the trees and the, this and how they felt and how my wife went and and you put the person in the story rather than just reading an after action report because
0: then you're you're making everyone there with you exactly you're <clears throat> transporting then can, them and yeah. they can make the best decision from there yeah do they put you through anything physical
1: the agency yeah, yeah um, especially for our paramilitary side you you have to have the, the military and the and and the uh, the fitness for it you know, the agency is, it was, uh, at my time, it's been changed quite a bit. But at the time, it was geographical areas, just like State Department, you know, a- Africa Division, Latin America Division, Far East, blah, 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 blah. And there's only one division that wasn't, and that's our paramilitary division. So it was called Special Activities Division. Now it's sp- Special Activities Center, I believe. And under Special Activities Division are three branches, which, again, is a, it's an anomaly in the agency. Uh, most uh, mainstream uh, uh, divisions, you know, will have a a, uh, a a the area division chief. You will have two or three that are area experts on, let's say, East Asia. You would have Southeast Asia, China, and Korea. Those were the three. And then under each one of those, you would have five or six branches of people that within that theater, they specialize on something. So branches, usually 10, 12 people. Well, ground branch is several hundred, wow. you know, because it, it, it becomes it comes from the OSS days. They wanted to keep the purity of the OSS days. So special activities divisions, um, special ops, you know, that, that's all comes from the OSS. So um, but the, the physical training happens more on when you actually get hired. Like I said, unless you are coming in as a paramilitary guy or gal, um, you when you go to the farm, there are physical requirements, um, got to get in shape, uh, but we're not looking for triathletes. You know, it's it's, it's like I said, it's not always a kinetic uh, environment, but they do have, they do go through a mini SEER school. Uh, that, that's that's part of the, uh, the indoctrination. For guys that uh, don't have the military training or gals, um, they actually go through a paramilitary phase where they actually spend... They jump out of an airplane. They get their five jumps. Uh, they got to know go riverboat uh, crossings and flipping. You know your uh, compass. Uh, you know tra- tra- transportation. You know, hot wiring things. You, you learn all that crap. What was the worst
0: thing to you? Because I mean, not a lot of things bother you. But what was the worst thing you had to do g- getting into the CIA? I-, I know you probably had done worse things prior to yeah. that. No, but...
1: I, yeah, that's that's a good question. That. Um, <laughs> You know for for me i didn't have to physically th- yeah physically yeah. i had physically the the agency for me physically wasn't that you know that that maxing i mean uh, living in in uh, in the jungles of nicaragua for over three years that took its toll
0: now yeah tell me some stories about that i mean you're in the jungle in nicaragua i mean who the hell wants to be there
1: me yeah, I know uh, you. That's why you three, were there. Three, 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 uh, three years and three months. Can you imagine being there for three years? I was only there Monday through Friday. I used to go home on, on the weekends. Oh, so wow. so I had that. And I slept in a jungle hammock. <laughs> and, um, it, you know, it's, again, you have to believe in what you're doing. And, 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 and for me, the satisfaction was very visceral because these Contras, these Nicaraguan freedom fighters, we're trying to do what I wish I could have done with Cuba they're trying to fight back and get their freedom. so here you have a kid that saw he and his family lose everything to communism, could do shit about it. but now you're the only CIA officer for the first fourteen months of that program working with these guys, training these guys doesn't get any better than that congratulations you know and 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 the other part of it is the purity of. the the mission I, i have dealt with individuals that i don't particularly like but if they're providing a service that i need you know you you manage that but here i was in awe of all these little peasants because every single one of them had a story and that's what i would do almost every night i would grab a cup of coffee i would go to a different fireplace and everybody's hanging around their fire cooking their shit whatever and um i would ask them why are you here you're going to be surprised. Nobody said I don't believe in communism or Lenin or, huh? it was all personal.
0: What well, they say? Well, I they raped, they raped. my daughter. right my daughter. Mm.
1: Fuck. They uh, they forced conscripted my 15 year old son into the military. <laughs> they beat up my priest and burned down my church. Mm. They stole my cattle and gave it to the military. So it was all very personal, pure reasons for that. They were not there for ideology. They were there not not for economic. They were strictly there for that hunger of freedom, and to make sure that your family, like mine, you know, was able to to to, to overcome it. So.
0: And you went without you saying that or reading the book, you would never think that. You yeah. would never think. You would think that the only reason they're there is to get out of there or kill you. Yeah, that would be the only two reasons. Yeah. Yep. You know, a person on the outside, right? And,
2: yeah. and is that why, you know, if you look at <clears throat> what's going on in Russia and Ukraine, If let's say Russia inevitably takes over Ukraine, right? Let's just say they take, eventually take a hold. You'll always have like some sort of guerrilla warfare they're, in, they're, somehow, they're, absolutely,
1: right? Absolutely, absolutely. You do not train, uh, and, and I'm not talking specifically here in Ukraine because, it's, again, I don't yeah. have visibility yeah. into that, but I know the craft, you know um if if we were doing if i was doing that kind of a program from the very beginning okay you know move shoot communicate yeah that's basic and then you know how to use this kind of weapon a more sophisticated weapons patrolling sort of covert communications but then you get down into running intelligence cells uh, rat lines uh how do you infiltrate people how do you uh, feed an insurgency you know what are the logistics you know, um, requirements for for an insurgency. You know, there's a saying, you know, amateurs practice tactics, experts practice logistics. Because I don't give a shit how good of a ninja you are. If you don't have bullets or fuel, you ain't going to do anything. So that logistics of how do you get, now imagine the complications. One thing is conventional, as conventional as it gets in our world, (laughs) um, uh, logistics, but now you're talking an insurgency that is being sought out that has to be clandestine and the the weak the weak the weak spots for us are the support mechanisms the support the the people that support these insurgencies are the vulnerable ones because they cannot be hiding i cannot get you medicines if i'm living in a cave in afghanistan i got to be in cairo or i got to be somewhere buying this stuff
0: um, you can we get, get to it. Right? Exactly.
1: Where you you have access to medical stuff. You have access to weapons, documentation, money, recruiting, all that kind of crap is done by the support mechanisms.
0: What was the most dangerous thing that happened in Nicaragua that you saw well, or went through?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, the, uh, the, the 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 firefights were a surprise. I had never been in, in, in a firefight before, and um, we came to um, Suicida's camp, and I, I had... Brought a truck full of mortars and and mortar rounds, and we had to uh, park the the vehicle at the bottom of the uh, of the the hill, this muddy hill, and our little guys were carrying these you know fifty some pound boxes up the mud, and I'm sucking wind trying to do the same, not carrying anything, and all of a sudden we came under fire, and we regrouped and and, uh, we we fought back, and because I had just brought mortars, the next day I said, guess what, guys. hey you look you're going to learn about how to use the mortars so we leveled their camp um but th- well, that, that goes, was because we leveled their camp yeah, there was <laughs> nothing left <laughs> to be they had they they, they never came back how's yeah. the
0: mortar sonic right that's the
1: you you got it right Ooh. yep <laughs> yeah. yep yeah. and then the, the bad end is the, the the other end when it lands yeah, yeah i have to give
0: credit yeah, to take yeah. for that one because he, yeah. he was saying we well, he kept hearing and there's diesel all over the Ooh. building, stand down, no, nope, we're gone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, like the, it's like the fireworks, the
1: Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Boom. Boom. <laughs> yeah, that's right. The... <laughs> but, uh, you know, so that that one was, was a new experience, and one of the things that I learned from that was that the training does kick in. Uh, you know, I, I, I didn't just fire blindly. I didn't just put rounds down range like this or anything like that. Um, that kicked in. Um, but it was also done under the heat of combat. You know, you have every, you, you, that adrenaline working in your favor. Uh, for me, probably the, the most dangerous one was when I did the rescue of my guys you know, out of Corinto. Um, the same divers that, that we use for Puerto Cabezas, uh, the agency said, hey, can your guys do Corinto? Puerto Cabezas, like I told you, was the belly button for the lo- military logistics. while Corinto was their industrial port. That's where all their goods could be shipped out, coffee, whatever it was, brought supplies in. So Corinto was another big deal. Everything, right? Yeah, every, everything <laughs> came through there for, for the, that, that kind of logistics, the non-military stuff. So the idea was to use my divers to blow up the bridge. It was several pylons, take two or th- three to four out, and the, it would collapse under its own weight. And how do you fix that? You know, you're talking years before you can move all that rubble and you know because the, the port Corinto's here it's like an island with a deep port, but that bridge is what ties it to the mainland. get rid of the bridge, you get the bridge there is, it's like a circumcision exactly. it's done, you know so um, but what happened was my guys um, they, they went in, in, in a mixed team, lesson learned, you got to have team cohesion. Um, my divers had their shit together. the the boat crew, had their shit together but they were spaniards they were the ni- regular white nicaraguans and the mosquitoes and them they're they're they all maybe nicaraguans but they do not get along I heard they don't it, trust heard each, it, each it, other
0: mosquitoes are nasty you get nasty nasty nasty
1: they are just natural born hunters survivors stalkers and they're tough they're resilient and you let them loose in the jungle and, you know, they know more than any seer instructor out there can do because, I mean, that, they've, that's what they've done all their lives. They're, they were my favorite. They were my favorite for a lot of reasons. That, that was one of them. But the other one was in dealing with the regular Nikas, there was no culture shock for me. I know the Latin culture. I speak the language. I know the foods. Yeah, I mean, some things might be fried a little different or whatever, but there's no culture shock. But going to the Mosquitia, mm-hmm. when they're speaking... You know, mosquito mis- sumo or Rama, yes. and the second language might be a little bit of English, uh, and some some Spanish, um, and, and just watching the culture and living in these camps, and and, and, and it, it was very different. And that was I found that fascinating. That was my Edgar Rice Boros reading days. Going back, like, man, I'm actually doing this shit out there with with you know individuals that are this primitive, um, and not a slang on them. I mean, you know, but uh, they're 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 living in camps. They're living in the jungle. Okay? So now after you're there three and a half years,
0: <clears throat> what was the completion? Did you complete the mission that you went there? Yeah, the pro- I mean,
1: yeah. Well, the, the, the program um, had its ups and downs, but it, eventually, that, that's and actually, thank you, that's that's a point I should have made early on. The beauty of, of the CONTRA program that we did for for, uh, for Reagan was that it was the first covert action program that actually caused a legal election to have to be taken and the sandinistas lost the election wow Uh, now of course that reverted back you know back to ortega's back and everything else but that wasn't our fault it it took you know that decade um until they were in a a situation where they knew that we need to negotiate or they're going to or they're going to take us over and when democratic elections were held supervised uh, you know uh, democratic elections with overwatch which is something we need to learn better, um, the, the Sandinistas lost. And a, and a democratically elected government came in for four years. So, so mission complete, mi- right? Mission complete. And that, 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 that program was a big shot in the arm for the agency because it was, again, since Vietnam days, it was one of the most involved projects that we've been. And the fact that for the least for the first 14 months of it, it was a covert operation. Nobody knew we were there. All All sealed. That's why I was the only guy allowed to go to the camps.
0: Wow.
1: Unbelievable. Congratulations. Thank you. You should be so proud of yourself, man. All I, stuff. d I, I am. I'm I'm prouder of my kids, but I you know, but, yeah. I, but you'll you'll see what I mean as yours gets older, you know? Oh yeah. We oh, uh, yeah. we tend to measure our uh, our success by that of our kids, so I've been very lucky. All three of mine are really squared away guys and gals.
0: Now when when you're now you're in the CIA and say you have a target, right? Or you think there's a target how many flags I, I don't know what you guys would call it but let's say rob you're watching rob and he he does something funny and you put him you put a flag on him right how many flags would you put on rob or whatever term it may be before you take it to the next level where you say okay we need to we need to move on this guy we need to bug we need to tap right. we need to do a b c d e
1: yeah it it's it's a very complicated question because there you know there's there's um there's no one size fits all uh you got to understand that part of the art form and notice i'd call it a science the art of recruiting um you have to be able to read the individuals watch them see what buttons to push you know get it get over to that that comfort level because like i said earlier on we try to recruit for strengths now like i said with the terrorists yeah I'll, i'll use the other um set them up but we try to recruit for strengths and then But what happens is you may have this guy that works at the Ministry of Underwater Basket Weaving and you need to know what the hell is going on in there. And the process is we have targeting assets, you know, people that say, hey, you know, that guy has access to this. It could be a real estate person. It could be a bookkeeper, somebody that we recruit that is local, that knows people and can, you know, actually scout for us. Let's put it that way.
0: And get you into where you need to it, get to, right? Exactly,
1: and and then then of course you know the diplomatic circus or the business circuits that we all swim in. You bump into people and you exchange cards, but we love leads. So let's say that we have Peter, who um, has access to this ministry that we really need. Uh, first thing we do is we check him out, see what we have in our records. Well, you know what? What's his, is he married? Does he have kids? Does he have college college age kids, or his kids going to college? Um, you know does he have medical issues in his family we, we try to find out as much as the person so we know what we're going into so the next step is bumping this individual we're literally getting to know them it's contrived most of the time or brokered where somebody says hey listen you know i met this guy that you know you may you may you may want to you might want to talk to him." He's has he's, he's with the u.s embassy and the one advantage that we have over the soviets and the chinese is whether you people believe it or not we wear the white hats people that are trying to save their country or democratize their country or stop corruption in the country they don't go to the russians and go could you help us (laughs) (laughs) they don't go to the chinese and say can you help (laughs) they're going like where are the where are the gringos those are the guys that that that'll that'll do this so that 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 fords in our benefit so let's say that now you know I, i i know what 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 does like i know where he plays golf for example he likes to play golf Okay, well, I start playing golf. I, well, we've all done it. Under, whatever it takes, we get to get close to the individual. You, you establish a relationship, a friendship. And then what you start doing is you start asking questions that get, let you know what makes this guy tick. And the real tick is what keeps him awake at night. The moment you know what keeps that person awake at night and you have a truthful, viable option to, hey, if you help me with this, you're going to sleep better. Then you have a recruitment.
0: Give me one thing that, like, a, a time when you found out what makes a person not sleep at night. What was one of those things?
1: Uh, a lot of it is, is, uh, no, you, you have your pull, higher. Pull out an M four. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I would, would do it quick. Yeah, yeah, that would. <laughs> no, I mean, you know, you have people that that worry about, um, you know, their 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 future of their family is a big one. I, I think I probably recruited more people. Um, to helping them put their kids through college and making sure that they had a nest egg and all this other stuff um, because, you know, they had the compatibility. You got to give them something. You know, so it, it isn't just patriotism. Uh, you hope that that's the main drive is the fact that you've built a good personal relationship and at the same time, you, um, you know, you, you, you're providing some benefit above and beyond the moral high ground something happens to him his kids you know the family you know helping them get you know that that kind of stuff so that that's very important but but our craft is one of really getting to know the people and and um, I made a mistake early on I was working with this guy it was a fairly senior guy which is another thing you know we, we we dropped the sir right away because i cannot pitch you from the catcher's mouth i got to be at the, the pitcher's mount to, to reach out to you. You've got to be looking up to me in some shape or form. And if I am working, like in this guy who was a senior officer, and I am a third secretary of the embassy, um, I have to get that balance pretty quickly. And that's your temperament or where you carry yourself. The fact that you come with the U.S. Embassy has a lot to do with it. You know, that, that's, a, that's a nice ring to, to knock. But so this individual, I you know befriended him. We had dinners, and he was all pissed off at a, a lot of the things that were going on in his country. And I'm going like, yeah, well, you know this this is the this idea, but we can't. And back and forth comes to the point where we say, okay, you know th- this guy, I'm going to pitch him, and he was a big dude. He was a big dude. So um, I had I, I did not plan it, but we uh, I introduced him to my kids somewhere along the line because again I had a, a very public persona I was a member of the embassy yeah. there was events hey anyway, here are my kids here being all and so he had met my wife and and, and my my oldest son my, my little my little one was still at home and um, so I pitched him I said look you know uh, we've been talking about this you've been saying that you want to make make a difference say this is I want I want to trust you with something I said you know and, and I pitched him good enough oh my god he got up. And he started calling me all kinds of names. Really? Yeah. He, he says, you, you, you've been playing me from the beginning. This is, you know, you. how could you? I thought you were my friend. And he's yelling. Luckily, yeah. there was a table between us. And, you know, it's one of those things I hadn't planned for it. But it came. And I looked at him. I go, we've been friends now for almost a year, right? You say we're friends. I said, we've been knowing each other for about a year. Does that give me two minutes to say something to you before you walk out? And he literally leaned on the chair like this, and he's just growling at me, but, but he listened. I said, I just told you the biggest secret of my life. You know my kids. You know my wife. And I trust you enough to tell you that I'm a CIA officer and that I want you to help me get your your country straightened out. Now i will turn the tables on you if that's not friendship then you can get the fuck out of the door because you're not the right guy anyway he sat down and we recruited him
0: my man yeah, yeah. my man so it's <coughs> taking not, him it, to your family it's, it's not, a great it's, move it, yeah because you showed him what he could have that's right yeah that's right, All right that's yeah. excellent yeah so it's, move
2: that's boss move
0: so now another thing you were a part of was uh, the whole Bin Laden thing, nine eleven or nine yep. eleven. You know, I, I get lost all the shit that happened. I guess nine eleven was before Bin Laden.
1: Yep. So no, Bin Laden was
0: before nine eleven. Bin Laden, before yeah, all right. these fucking yep. people, yep. You know, Saddam. Yep. Jesus. So you were part of the Bin Laden tax, task force, that whole thing, yep.
1: right? Yeah. The uh, uh, that that obviously is is one of my proudest moments uh, in in the you know in the non kinetic aspect of things. Um, I, uh, I had come back from Korea. I had been the chief liaison in Korea and I came back to Korea and I was a, a branch chief in CTC. I got in my GS 15, which is Colonel rank for us. So I had just gotten my, my GS 15 and I had a branch, the Palestinian branch, about 12 people in it. And the chief of operations called me in. I hadn't been there two months. He says, your name has been put forward to uh, be the deputy in a new station we're creating. And the station is going to be focusing on one target, one terror. Well, I knew it was terrorist because it was the counterterrorist center. One terrorist target. And he said, we, we, you know, you would be the senior operations officer because the the chief is going to be a, an analyst. The guy's name was Mike Scheuer, is Mike Scheuer. He's not dead. Uh, Mike Scheuer was the chief, but I was the deputy and I was the senior operations guy because I was the operations guy. So uh, the uh, the chief of ops tells me, he says, uh, yeah, we were doing this task force, blah, blah, blah. And I said, well, sir, who, who are we going after? And he goes, Osama bin Laden. And I go, who? And he says, exactly. Hmm. Mike Shore was the only guy that really knew who bin Laden was. So we created the, the cell. It was about eight of us or so. Um, some notables were like, you know... Uh, uh there were great analysts we had one other case officer junior to me but he was an arabic speaker we had an fbi guy that that was working with us on, on the program um but that's the very same cell that eventually was able to get bin Laden and have the seals um shoot him in the face and uh by the way when the seals that did that they were actually working for the agency because only we have Title 50 authorities to do that kind of stuff. It's, not, it's outside of a combat theater. The sad part is that in uh, we started this in January of 96. By early 97, and he was in Khartoum, Osama bin Laden was in Khartoum, we knew what he had for lunch. We had him under surveillance. We had him under technical surveillance. What we did that had, prick have for
0: lunch? What rice? <laughs> what did he? What did yeah. that just shit a, had it's a, eat? It's just to say. A oh, saying, I was wondering but, what the motherfucker uh, ate yeah, before yeah, you yeah.
1: put a <laughs> nice one in him. But uh, you know, it, it was he we, we it all really, really had him pegged, and he was in Khartoum under very comfortable circumstances. He had poured money into that country. Um, he felt no threat whatsoever. The, the, uh, the, uh, the, they know who he was. He was. He had training camps there. We knew he was bad and all the intelligence we were getting, how he was exploiting Saudis, how he was strong arming so- Saudis into uh, paying for these training camps for radical, you know, Mujahideen kind of guys. And uh, we came up with several proposals to to neutralize them at that spot. You know, uh, and I'm talking about 96, 97. Uh, we already had there was there was a gentleman. I, I talked to him in the book. He's one of my best friends. Uh legendary uh, um, SF guy, Billy Waugh. Billy was the head of our our surveillance unit in Khartoum. And he had, I mean, he ran by him all the time. He he had a safe house nearby taking the first pictures we ever took of Bin Laden, Billy Waugh took from from 100 yards away. And uh, Billy used to, to this day, he tells me, he says, Rick have killed him with a pencil (laughs) because he got so close to him. Sometimes Uh. the guy got in his car by his own uh, he was he,
0: that confident huh? yeah
1: well he was he, he was in his turf yeah and even when we went out with his guys don't get me wrong his guys were badasses but they were not you know, executive protection guys they would just hang outside the truck with their ak-47s the guns, eh? all right so, all right so you you you're you're mm-hmm. six of you six of me and you don't see me who, who's yeah. gonna win right? there's a sniper
0: with the bigger gun That's and more yeah, rounds so
1: it. uh so we could have gone and having a guy like billy on the ground that knows operations he would, he would told us with with walk due confidence says if we bring a special team in we can get this guy duct tape out of here with minimum damage and we won't take a hit mm-hmm. we never got to do that with the the uh, the um the proposals were almost every 2 or 3 months something else would come up we would get more intelligence okay now we know they have got two sources that are telling us he's training these kind of guys to send them to Saudi Arabia or to Jordan or whatever the hell it is um, and and the administration wouldn't buy off on it. Uh, well, we don't have enough proof. And now, why do you think they didn't buy off on it? You're coming to them with
0: facts, with proof. You guys are highly trained. It's the CIA. It's not like, no offense, but it's not like the National Guard is sending mm-hmm. a letter.
1: Yeah, I, I, you know, the, the problem is politicians are politicians. Mm-hmm. And politicians, uh, there's some good ones out there, obviously, just like, like in everything else. But when you do 40 years in a political job, you owe as many favors as you're owed. It's it's a prostitution kind of negotiation yeah, kind of stuff, you know? I can see and, that, and people yeah. have their, their political ambitions. And I, you, I cannot tell you how many times I've seen people make decisions based on, I wonder what that's going to do to my career. Dude, you're talking your country. You're talking your family. So... Uh, You know we we kept proposing those things and it wasn't politically uh, palatable you know it was too much risk you know uh we don't want to piss off the uh, middle easterns you know or or you know look you know this guy is going to hurt us so we never were able to do that so when you had the coal bombing then you had the the twin embassies in the united in, in africa that got bombed um once we knew who did it which was him he was already in afghanistan living in the mountains but if we would have been allowed to duct tape, let's say, let's say not kill him, just bring him to justice. If we would have duct taped him in 1997, the coal wouldn't have happened. The, the bo- embassy bombings wouldn't have happened. Cobar Towers might have not happened. 9-11 might have not happened. So it goes back to what if you could go back in time and put a bullet in Hitler's head in 1937. Yeah. So that, that was very frustrating for us So now 9-11 happens Where are you at? I was chief of operations at the counter center The best job a guy like me could have I mean, it doesn't get any sexier than that title. It, yeah, it, it really does It, doesn't. Yeah, that's it really actually good. doesn't. It actually does If yeah. you weren't married, I mean, you could just, you <laughs> just, a, just line them I, up. That's a honey. <laughs> you know, this is what I do. But uh, Line them up. Yeah.
0: Line them up, Rick. Save one for me.
1: But, yeah, I I, uh, I had come out of Shangri-La, which is the, uh, the, the Middle Eastern radical Muslim country that I couldn't mention by name. Uh, when I came out of Shangri-La, I already knew that I had the job uh, replacing Hank Crumpton um, as uh, the chief of ops. So I took over in May of, of 2001. And of course 9-11 happened in in the first lesson that i learned was we knew that there was something happening but we could not pinpoint it uh, a lot of people think intelligence is like what you see in the, in the in the movies you know that at the end of the thing everybody knows what everything was going on like it was a perfect puzzle it's a puzzle all right but it's missing half the pieces And the rest you do through analysis and corroboration of some of the stuff that you know so um we, we kept hearing all this chatter we knew that they were um, very busy they were saying these there were several q words that i cannot mention but that they referred to things that we knew were actions uh, pending and uh and with the help with of nsa of course and all of a sudden the communications started down the people that we had under surveillance kind of started fading and uh, again, now, what are you thinking? When they start fading, well, what's going through your mind? Well, They're uh, about to go, that, right? Something, something's going to go hot. Something's mm-hmm. going to go kinetic. And um, boom, of course, 9-11 happens. And we all know where we were at, uh, what we were doing. Now, did you think there was more
0: planes coming? No. When, 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 I, when, I,
1: when I saw the first plane, I was literally in the front office waiting for Kofor to get off the phone. Kofor Black was my boss at the time and my dear friend to this day. Uh, I was standing in front of his office talking to the secretary and there was the TV was there and I was waiting for him to finish when the first plane hit the building. Well, when you look over, you see a plane hit the building. I said, well, it's like a two-engine plane. You I know? thought I was seeing shit when yeah. I saw it. Yeah, well, I, I knew it was a plane, but I thought it yeah. was a small plane that had accidentally flown into, you know, a guy has a heart attack and is flying it in there. Yeah. Well, one of the things that the the, the counterterrorist center uh, was fantastic about is that very early on... The, the, the counterterrorist centers was established by one of my mentors, Dewey Claridge. I mentioned him in the book quite a bit. The most visionary man I've ever worked with. I mean, yeah, a true patriot. Dewey, Dewey, right? Dewey. Dewey Claridge. Just fantastic individual. And um, so Dewey had created the CTC. And when he created it, he made sure that we had every single federal agency represented in the center. We had Secret Service, always at least two we had a, one of the deputies in CTC was always an FBI individual very senior SIS level um, we had customs people we had uh, diplomatic security people we had uh, AT, ABT uh, uh, alcohol tobacco and firearms folks they they were, they were all represented there so we could you know cor- correlate in 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 and um, you know pass yes, information we exchange back and forth yeah. we exchange information back and forth and we add believe it or not a uh, um, um, what's the the people that control the uh, the, the airlines the um uh faa
0: FCC? faa he
1: F- was an faa guy so i'm sitting standing there i see the first plane hit and we're going like holy shit what the hell was that i, know, I think it was a small plane oh my god that's terrible and then he comes up and he taps me in the shoulder and he says but prado we have a problem I said, what's that he says we have four planes that have activated their emergency signal and none of them are responding and just as he's saying this here comes the second plane oh. and hits the tower. Um, so we knew exactly where, where, where we were up to. What was the one, was the one supposed to hit the Pentagon? Yeah, the uh, the uh, you had the one that hit the Pentagon. Um, you had the one that hit, the t- well, you had the Twin Towers Twin first. Twin Towers, yeah. Then it was the Pentagon uh, and then the fourth is the one that and- let's roll the, yeah. the, those guys actually took the plane down from the terrorists and sacrificed their lives for it you know where was that headed because then
0: that was by
2: some PA, people right? said the white house it was like shanksville no, pa no no no
1: where was that headed they they would either uh, we believe that it was the agency really think about uh, it yeah, okay the think. white house that plane would have never gotten within a mile of it
0: yeah would have been blown down. into They would have
1: been blown away. I don't care if it's a passenger plane. If yeah. you're going at the White House, you, you, you're going to go bye bye. They have the capabilities uh, and the the uh, the the the, uh, the jet pilots that are sitting in airplanes twenty four hours a day. It's that waiting. anything comes within a certain range, they're on your ass. So <laughs> that, that that's that wasn't it. They know that. Uh, we think that because of what they struck, Bin Laden was a very smart man. The economic center of the United States. Boom, the twin towers gone. The military, boom, gone, gone. gone. What's next? Congress? Nah, no, they don't give a yeah, shit about Congress. Shit. Congress. They, they, they kill themselves. But the agency, <laughs> uh, <laughs> they'll kill themselves. Yeah, the agency. You figure, yeah. hey, if we can if we can kneecap the agency. That's that's a trifecta there. Yeah. So now that was never proven. We will never know, right? Uh, because just, uh, uh, they, educated uh, guess, ed- educated yeah. guess was that it was us. Anyway, it was our understanding when the decisions were made to evacuate the buildings, including CIA, uh, George Tannen came in and said, I want the building empty, everybody out. And Kofor got up and went, okay guys, well anybody that needs to leave can leave, I'm staying. And the greater majority, and, and there were people that had, well look, I got to take my kid out of school and take him home, but I'll be back. And they were. So there, there's a beautiful story, uh, a little vignette in there that I love telling because You've heard me talk about dedication and believing in what you do, and and uh, so there. My deputy for uh, as chief of ops, all the branches, all the groups were under me, and the deputy of the uh, Hezbollah branch was a lady, Christy, um, and she was eight months pregnant. So nine eleven happens, we you know, our hair's on fire. I'm yelling orders. We got to do this. We got to do that and the day goes by like this so around seven o'clock at night i hadn't been back to my office i was hanging out in the front office doing stuff and uh i go back to my office and there's christy at the computer and it's like eight o'clock at night eight months pregnant and i said christy what the hell are you doing here well we don't know exactly that it's bin laden i want to make sure that it wasn't hezbollah and you know, she says she goes you remember Hezbollah until <laughs> until now, Hezbollah had killed more Americans than anybody else. 246, to be exact. And I looked at her and said, Christy, I've delivered two kids in my life and neither one of them was mine. I'm not delivering a third. <laughs> You're getting your <laughs> hell out of here. And and I had the, the logistics guy take him home. Here's the moral of the story, because at the time, you know, you know, you introspective it comes way after the fact for for us for anybody so for several years later uh, i'm retired i'm in the office meeting well, my last deputy and she was my buddy's uh, number two she walks in and I, she's be talking to mike and she says uh rick how do you know you were here and he looks at mike and says mike i'm sorry but you're the second best boss i ever had mm-hmm. so we all laugh but we're we're best of friends but then she said to me she says you know Every year, my daughter's birthday, I think of you, and then I say, and, and then I say to myself, "What the bleep were you thinking?" And the reason that story is important because if you can override the maternal instinct mm-hmm. of a female, anything mm-hmm. mess with a cub. When you can override the fact that you're seven and a half, eight months pregnant, and you're staying in a building that could have been a target or could still be a target. You love your job, and you're dedicated, just like you. She never noticed anything else that was that was her thing and, and I'd and, say she's got more balls than half the the men
0: that were in there
1: total commitment public
0: Standing in there, a plane could hit any second yep.
1: knew really what the hell was exactly. going on that's oh, why i love telling hey, that story congratulations to her yeah absolutely you know? well the, but you see the reason that i mentioned that is because that's the kind of people we have in the agency
0: yeah go get her she's
1: not the anomaly yeah they're people that really believe you cannot put up with a bullshit that we got to put up moving our families every two or three years i have six overseas tours five of them were with my family that's ten moves it's a lot of moves not the not, not and plus the, the normal ones hey well we, we sold the townhouse and bought a house kind of thing so yeah um <laughs> you know it, it, the, the the working undercover the the hours the uh the, the all the stuff that we go through um you have to believe in what you're doing and that's what the agency recruits there's a lot of good people there now 9 12 it's the next day what does
0: the cia do what do you do like what what are your because i would assume you have to put it all emotions aside, and you got to figure well, out what the it, fuck with, happened. Without right? a doubt. Without a doubt. So, and,
1: on 9 12, what, what, what do you do? Well, the, the, it was evident for us that we needed, first of all, get that hard evidence that it indeed was Osama bin Laden because we it now. We knew the gloves were going to come off. We knew that, you know, Bush had already said, I want to know who this was, kind of stuff. And we all assumed that it was bin Laden, but we don't, we're not in the business of assuming, especially when you're going to start a war. So as soon as we were able, and it was you know nine twelve nine thirteen kind of thing, uh, it was what can we do? How do we attack them? And of course we have very smart analysts that follow all these accounts. and And the consensus was we need to neutralize the Taliban because that's the military power in the country, and thus then be able to get after Al Qaeda, which are dependent to the uh, to the Taliban, and they're not as visible as the Taliban. The Taliban had. Real buildings, real airports, real planes and and all that kind of crap. So the decision was made very early on that we're going to send eventually troops into and and target Afghanistan, Uh, uh, target the Taliban. So the first thing that we did was we put a man, a a group together uh, under uh, Gary Schroen and uh, the book uh, that he wrote a book called First In Um, and people don't understand that the first american boots in afghanistan were all cia people really every single one of them you know you if you watch the movies 12 strong did you ever see that movie the the one about the green berets going into afghanistan and you know fighting the tyler it's a true story it's a a fantastic story 12 strong 12 strong there's one huge flaw with it cia is not represented in that whole mission because cia under that administration decided not to play but here's what really happened we had 12 guys on the ground that went to knock on the door of the Northern Alliance. The Northern Alliance was the one ally we had. They were not narco traffickers. They were the freedom fighters. Of, they were the only people opposing the Taliban. And as you may or may not remember, before 9-11, the leader of the Northern Alliance was assassinated during a fake interview um, by the Taliban, I mean, by, by the Al-Qaeda. By Al-Qaeda, right? They literally took him down and but gary had served there spoke the language uh and he went with his parent paramilitary gun. one of the guys uh jr is a, cl- a classmate of mine and those 12 guys were on the ground when that first helicopters that 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 oda sf ODA, landed in afghanistan it was our guys vectoring them in hmm. that doesn't appear in the book in the in, in the movie the second thing is all the stuff that they they say that the green beret guys did in the movie did happen some pretty hairy shit but for every sf guy that was there there was an agency officer next to him my friend my classmate literally shot a taliban guy from his horseback when he was riding horse (laughs) with a pistol with a pistol? He shot him well he's proven shit. Yep. Yeah. yeah, and he shot him with a pistol. Good they man. were they were trying to get away from an ambush, they ran into an ambush and, and so my point is here we have an opportunity to showcase what the agency really does and, and, and how important we're in this role. It would have been so nice to say that the very same story, because it was all factual, but put the right players put the right players, players in and that their, deserve the credit, that right? Deserve, deserve part of the credit. Yeah. Now,
0: what what were you thinking? Maybe, you know, because on the outside, after it happened and things kind of died down, you you know you would watch it a hundred times, hundred times, hundred times, and then you start with the conspiracy bullshit. You know, on the mm-hmm. outside, and it looked like there was a bomb on the bottom because of the way it crashed, because the the way the building went down. now I I know, I know, I know. Yeah, I'm just saying. Yeah. Oh, you no, know, I'm just saying. Like, oh, just, there's there's, there's the, all, all kinds yeah. of,
1: of things out there, but
0: but because that's how it looked, right? Because yeah. when you destroy a building you put the bomb in the bottom and it comes down like but, that so when the, the plane went in like that it was kind of odd the way it went down
1: well what happens is the way i mean they The, the, the look the, the biggest mistake anybody can make whether it's mixed martial arts or life is underestimating your opposition and one of the things the prejudice that we have as, as western world is all these terrorists are a bunch of camel jockeys oh no they're not. guys the people that flew those planes they were educated engineers oh, oh yeah you know, and, and you don't just go to class and, and, and learn to fly a 747. You know, there were smart people and they knew they had engineers that knew what damage could be done to the building. And you're talking just the fuel alone of one of those planes has plus the impact. Um, you're talking millions of tons of crap going down so that's the collapse um that's why
0: i asked you that so you, you would make yeah it.
1: no I've, I, and i've heard it i've heard it all i mean, I, you know, I
0: heard it and you know you hear it enough you start well maybe but then you know that's the why thing I is how do you because when look, you when you think about it you have that much fucking weight on top of that the <laughs> building right it's gonna collapse yeah it's gonna go down like that
1: yeah. but here,
0: here's the but thing you don't think about it because the fucking they put the doubt in your head yeah, yeah.
1: but here's here's the here's the catch right there though we cannot keep secret What we're doing in Ukraine, how are we going to keep secret the fact that the bomb was really something that was planted in the, it's going to leak. It is, it it would have leaked by By now. now. There's no way that that would have lasted more than a few months. Plus, remember, we have some of the best forensic investigators when it comes to that kind of stuff. Yeah. Somebody would have, would have done a wiki leak or whatever. That's
2: right. How do you, like, I guess from working in the business and being, from being in it, how do you overcome? I don't even say you have to overcome it, but how do you? You hear these conspiracy theories, people's opinions, whatever you want to call it, right? And it makes you think. Like you'll sit there, and be like, man, that could be right. The government's powerful. The government doesn't want us to know anything. They're doing secret stuff, which they are. We, of course, we know this. Yeah, of course. But you know, nine eleven was set up, and this this was happened. The CIA's involved with this. How, as a person who worked in it, just say, guys. This is a little ridiculous. Yeah.
1: Well, it it starts very early on in our training. Uh, The first thing that they tell us, we don't do politics. We do intelligence and covert action. So I can I don't I don't preach my my opinions. If I if I know something, I can comment on it. Mm -hmm. But when you see things like that, that uh, people are coming in the first thing that comes into my mind is who is giving us this information? Who is poisoning this water? Because you know what? If 9-11 would have happened in the Soviet Union, I would have been saying, hey, that was an internal job because why? I want them to be demoralized because that's my enemy. So a lot of these conspiracy theories maybe, may not, but in some cases I'm sure that it's happened, they're they're instigated by powers that are trying to undermine us. Yeah. break the confidence you don't love your military just Dist- proceed it again guys yeah. don't no, trust no. your police you know all policemen are bad defund the police that makes perfect sense too yeah.
0: it's yeah. like they throw they throw it at the wall yeah. and see what will stick to to get you to not
1: have and faith and confidence you. and yeah. it hurts you i mean they just, know that they're chipping away at that fiber and that's what they need to do because look there isn't a country in the world that can beat us militarily and I'm not talking about nuclear, okay? Nuclear. Yeah, that's a whole different. There's, well, there's no winner. Yeah. Let's face it. People don't understand it. If there's a nuclear war, that's it. Uh, you, you know, ten percent of the world population may survive because you know the pollution and the all that radiation, kind of radiation yeah. and all that other shit. But m- there is no military power that can beat the United States. And we just China. saw we just saw what happened to the Russians with the Ukrainians. Yeah. So you don't think even China would give us a good run for the money? They would give us a run from the money, but you know what? When they would the, go cyber though. They, well, they would do the cyber. They would do all the, but, but we're talking war here. Yeah. And who has been at war for the last 20 years? We have more vetted yeah. warriors. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, we have more warriors as a nation anyway because we are a nation of warriors. You, when you think you know? about
0: it that way. Yeah, but
1: our guys and gals have been doing this shit for 20-some years. That's right. And they've been kicking ass. So you're talking, you know, uh, 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 lieutenants. That are now generals that have been through 20 years of this experience and all the people below them benefit from that so how do you how do you weaken your enemy
0: 20 years of experience but while they don't have the actual fit because you can train all you want that's right right? just like you were talking earlier about something but you know like basketball you can play all you want by yourself in the the court but then when you go into the game it's not the same that's right you know yeah and It's a lot different when it's real, it, it, real time and uh, not real time. Exactly. And
2: then how how many like so you know we have operatives all over the world, right? Wait. Different countries. We don't even know where they're at. Yep. Um, how many other countries? China, Russia, uh, Japan. I don't know the the ones. I know you can't give me a number. No one would know a number. How many of those guys, their secret ops in their countries, do you think are in this country?
1: Oh, a, a, a great, a great number, a great number. Um, you got to understand every country has an intelligence service. Sure. Every country. The Israelis have it. The Peruvians have it. You know, the Costa Ricans have it. I mean, you know, different degrees and different, different, different uh, goals. Um in, in the case of a lot of the Intel services, they're focusing more on the internal situation or the immediate geographical situation. So say take a paper, a country like Colombia or something like that. you know, they're worried about what's going on in Peru, what's going on in Brazil, whatever it is. Um, and they may want to be finding out what it is, but the Chinese, the Russians, the Iranians, those are all big program uh, operators. Now the Europeans do too. There are allies to 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 a certain degree. Uh, the Brits definitely are. Um, so the influence here is tremendous because they know they cannot beat us militarily, so they got to chip away at something. That's why you have like the Chinese guy that gets recruited and everything else in in, in, the, in the slide that you had up a, while, a little while ago. So every service, you know, I'm a I'm a very big uh, pro-Israel kind of guy. I think that they're. They, we can learn so much from them, mm-hmm. but you know, here's here's from there was an American that they recruited, and got caught for espionage. So the Israelis actually recruited an, a hyphenated American, but nonetheless a, a, an American, got him and, and, and got him in, and that's our ally. My point isn't that that degrades them; um, they shouldn't have done it. That that was wrong. But every service has their special interest. They have. They need to do what they need to do to protect their country. And if it was recruiting an American, going like, "Okay, we better not get caught at this one," <laughs> yeah. but we need what this guy is going to provide.
2: But you think? But you think there is a good amount. When I say good amount, I don't know a number, but uh, you know, hundreds, thousands. Uh, how, I, how I I
1: couldn't I couldn't begin to guess. But I can tell you that the infrastructure is there. I'll, I'll tell you a short story that applies to that. Um, 912-ish um, my uh, my counterpart of the FBI uh, Mike Rollins was the uh, the SAC for counterterrorism in, in the Washington D.C. area old friend of mine and he comes in the building with his deputy to talk to Kofer and myself about okay so what do we got you know and he he looked at me and said uh, so you know what do, what's, what's the deal here so well you know we, are, we were we know that it's been a lot now and uh We're taking, you know, plans to do whatever we're going to do. He goes, thank God. And I go, what do you mean, thank God? He says, Rick, if it would have been Hezbollah and we went after the Iranians, they would bleed us in this country. I said, I'm the chief of ops in the (laughs) counterterrorism. And I didn't know that. And he, uh, yeah.
0: well, th- th- what, yeah, yeah. he went real
1: well I You're you know, the chief. Yeah, you know. Well, <laughs> but I, remember, I'm CIA. My stuff is outside the country, yeah. but as a courtesy, so, goddammit. Yeah. But his point was this. He says, Hezbollah has cells in this country that are sleeper cells. Just like the North Koreans. And I can speak North Korean until the, the, till the day is gone. North Koreans have cells in this country. Not necessarily to attack us, but because they're procuring, you know, those embargoed goods.
0: And when you say sell, what do you mean by sell for those that don't know?
1: U- usually a cell is a clandestine group of people that may not even know each other. They, they have a common connectivity uh, and they're, they're used for, for um, like, let, let, let use, let's, let's say the Koreans. The Koreans are not in this country spying necessarily, okay? If, if there is a Korean embassy, South Koreans, whatever, that's different. There's no North, North Korean embassy here but what they do is they recruit assets that they will you know bring into the country or americans that they meet overseas or whatever it is and recruit them and they they become operational they get training and then they're just sleeper all you have to do is be who you are until i tell you otherwise Hmm. and so those are the cells and hezbollah had targeting cells the north koreans worldwide I, I this happened to me when um, a very good friend of mine a colonel asked me to give a talk in north korea uh so i went over there and and uh, this is when the sable rattling this is about four or five years ago when the sable rattling was really really high and um i said to the had a group of their best analysts sitting there and i said ladies and gentlemen i'm not going to talk to you about the peninsula you guys know more about the North Korean peninsula than I do, because I've never been there. You guys read everything. I'm gonna tell you about the, the worldwide presence of North Korea, And so they went. Mm-hmm. I said, let me give you an example. There's over 50 North Korean missions in the world. Mm-hmm. Wow. Every single 50? one of 50, easy. I think it's 54, last last time I, I counted. Oh, um, okay. yeah, embassies in the world, which de facto are, are their intel. Mm-hmm. Their only mission is to make money for the regime and procure, elicit, you know, the, those embargoed goods for the regime. So these individuals are not giving funding. They have to actually go out and do illegal things to make money to buy the computers and then recruit, you know, some Latin American schmuck that has access to the United States and buy this and buy that and, and that, that that kind of mentality. And I said this, a little, I alluded to this a little earlier. There's intel services everywhere, but they usually have a limited numbers of enemies. North Koreans only have two enemies, South Koreans and us. Mm-hmm. There's nobody else that they're against. The Cubans, same thing. The Cubans only have one natural enemy, us. Oh. Mm-hmm. We have everybody. Because I just told you, even Israelis have recruited our people. So um, it is a very, very different angle when, when you're looking at it that way that it, it is—the presence is here.
2: And, and when you look at the fact of, like, uh, Cuba, uh, China, Russia, right, um, the way that they keep their, their communist thing is, you know, they're the, the scare, you know, you're afraid of them. You know, the media, they control the media, they That's control— right all that with internet, you know, no social media, the stuff that goes on. You, you hear the term thrown a lot, around a lot nowadays. Oh, we're turning into a communist country, it's turning to communism here, and, and it is, sometimes I think it's overused, in my opinion, but do you think, and you can't come from communist Cuba, that the U.S. is slowly on that verge to communism, in your opinion?
1: I, I will tell you that the whole world is, is, is dancing against with socialism okay and what you got to understand there's a very big difference between welfare of the people and evenness opportunities and all that that's not socialism socialism is nothing more than a mask for the communist to wear and what I see this troubling is the trend that so many of these countries are you know going back to to that you know utopic uh, fantasy We were talking about, you know, when we went out for the break, you know, uh, that we look at things with, 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 with the, uh, with the, the, um, sorry, brain part here, um, with, yeah, Uh well, 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 wait till you get to be, um, when, when you have lost my train of thought completely on that one, where we were at.
2: Just with, you know, communism, do you think we're slowly on our way there?
1: Yep. So. When you have people that do things that make absolutely no sense, we were talking about defunding the police, how, if you study anything and you look at post-World War II Soviet satellites, Poland, Ukraine, did they flourish under communism? No. No. Look at Cuba. Cuba. In 1959, Cuba was one of the, I think, the second or third. The U, the the Cuban dollar and the uh, the Cuban peso and the U.S. dollar were equal before the Castro. And look where Cuba is now. My dad drove a '57 Pontiac yeah. in Nicaragua, and guess what? Now they're using ox cart to transport people instead because they don't have the buses or the fuel for it. Mm-hmm. Then go to Vene- go to Nicaragua, go to Venezuela. So how does any of this make sense? Mm -hmm. If it's such a great thing, and of course the excuses, well, it was never implemented the way it was supposed to be. Bullshit. When you have failed at something since 1917, you know, that's a clue. It doesn't work that way. It is no different than a a caudillo that runs a a banana republic and steals and rapes, polishes and plunder. It's the same thing. You have that corrupt leadership and Putin is the perfect example for it. What surprises me the most, we said it before, is that people are surprised what Putin is doing. That's what they do. So, but as far as presence of, of, of individuals here, you know they are, and, and what I can assure you is that the FBI is on them as much as anybody is on us overseas, because we, we, mm-hmm. they do try to manage that. The problem is you can monitor the legal presence But those clandestine cells are that—that's—that's the money. Yeah. Do you think any of this is a setup, like a setup by
0: the administration, the government, whatever you want to call it, to control everything? Because to to uh, to the citizen, that's what you're going to hear. Yeah. You know, not like a CIA agent or somebody who knows knows, or actually really has any clue what they're talking about.
1: No, you know, and unfortunately, the, the the biggest problem we have is that you know politics are done by we politicians. Okay, and we we're talking yeah, about a little you bit about lobbyists and all that other. You know, players. so you have people that that uh, have special interests, and unfortunately, I see it time and time again, where people in political positions, both sides of the parties. Don't get me wrong; we're we're far from virgin on, on the Republican side. Um, they put special interest groups or personal personal interest um above god and country and that to me is treason mm-hmm. i mean what else could it be for me that's treason i you know i can tell you that i joined the agency in 1980 and i never stole a pen or a nickel or lied in any of my reports and if i did and i got caught i deserved to be put up on a wall and shot
0: and that's how you should think. Mm-hmm. As if you're going to be a CIA agent, right? If you're going to be a Green Beret, if you're going to be a Marine, if you're going to go into the military, even if you're a National Guard, yep. if you're going to fucking lie about what could possibly hurt my family,
1: your family, his Crazy. family, Crazy. Or, or cut well, accommodations, them I mean, up know. and just go. Psh. You know, when when you have American companies that, or, or I'm sorry, U.S. government deals with places like China. And those deals are one-sided, are obviously making us dependent on them, not only for the money, but for the goods that they produce. That's counterintuitive to to anybody. I mean, I'm not a rocket scientist, and I can tell you that I don't want my enemy be the guy that I go to buy ammo from. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, really? And, and, and that's exactly what we do. Or police, I need penicillin, and, and I got to buy it from my enemy.
0: And like you just said, you know, yeah, the Pontiac at 57, banging, Castro comes in, boom, done, okay? Trump, whether you like him or not, he had Putin under control. The economy was on fire. China wasn't even thinking about making a fucking move. The police were funded. You know, you know things were getting taken care of. And the other countries, again, you, whether you like him or not, they feared him. Of course they do He went to fucking North Korea, buy him. Can you imagine how many times they probably said, no, don't go? Yeah. Not Not a good idea? He said, no, I'm going to go. Secret Service, you stay there. Let me talk to this guy. And because he went there with King Jong-un one-on-one, the little I know, that yeah. you Defused, you know a hell of a he, lot more. He
1: diffused a lot.
0: It, King Jong-un, in my opinion, respected him because he came there with his No,
1: Not only King Jong-un, the world. The world. Yeah. You see, look, uh, I... Um, I don't like I said I don't I'm like not talk, trying to get I'm, political. I'm not, we're I'm just not, talking about we're talking how facts. things were. Facts. We're talking facts. Yeah, yeah. And that's my world. I'm with that too. For me it's statistics and, and, and Yeah, and, I don't like the political you know, thing anymore than for you. Know. Me, it, to me it's uh, it's it's just too dirty for my taste. But when you have um, an economy that is booming and every single major negotiation with Latin America Europe, China, Africa are being renegotiated, including NATO. All these things are saying, "Hey, why am I paying seventy percent of this,
2: <laughs>
1: and the rest of the world is playing pay- thirty percent? Or why do I have tariffs and, and you don't?" Yeah, wh- where's and, and Trump attacked all that? Yeah, he said it's uh, not fair. You know, he you know, there's there's anybody who argues of of Trump's acumen for business and economy, is a fool. Anybody who says that he is not a patriot, that he doesn't really love this country or doesn't love the military or doesn't love the police, is a fool.
0: And needs therapy. And needs Bad. therapy. Or the loony bin. That's,
1: yeah. They can all go to the loony bin. Now, I will be the first one to tell you that the one thing that he does very wrong is that he pisses off as many people as he wins <laughs> over yeah and often unnecessarily and and it is such a shame because Tom, if if he had cut back 34 percent on his twitter show the we wouldn't be, we would not be we would not be having this conversation we wouldn't we would not be having this conversation and and uh he had
0: another thing to add to that he did that not political this is just facts he did that while under attack and attack an attack his family, his oh, kid. Without Mueller, the dirtiest guy in the planet. Believe me, I know. I know this Mueller. I know. Mm-hmm. Him. I've had a lot of my friends, and that fucker plants shit left and right. And yep. I know. For, I saw my friend get twenty years for planning. He would go around. They investigated my friend for two years. They had the proof. He went. He was paying people to say, "Hey, can you say this about so and so?" And they would say it. And they caught him. They had the video. The fucking pro- the U.S. attorney goes like this to the paper shredder. They had it all, like they had yep. pictures because yep. uh my friend's lawyer had gotten a PI, a private investigator because he knew he was being set up. Like he did what he did, right. but not 20 years, right. right? So he knew he was being set up, so this PI was following, you know, the feds around and everything else and Mueller's team before he became what he was, he was literally paying people to, to just give a bullshit statement yep. Yep. and it worked yep. and he got three of my friends over 15 years they could they really probably should have got two yep. three and only because they had a record yep. anyone else a probation and that mueller tried for three years to get his ass yep. and you know if there was one thing he could have found
1: fabricate pay off he would have. absolutely we're going back to the you can't keep a secret yep if, if he really did something like this on the side who's going to keep it a secret Nobody. eventually comes out. But you know, it, it's, it's, it's a shame. Uh, I hope we have somebody that steps up that has a, um, the acumen and, and the philosophy and the love for country and the love for duty. Uh, that the Trump did, but has a little bit more of a bridge building mentality, uh, and, and, you have to bring you got to fight so hard as a family person i can tell you even with 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 family you have to work hard at making unity not dissension uh and that's one of the things that is killing us i mean we we have resultations here that are worse than they were in the 60s and anybody says things have have been improved in for everybody in this country because things are better i mean we have more equal this and we have more equal that are we perfect no is there a prejudice absolutely we're human but we need to try politically you know even politics has always been dirty but go back to the 60s at least the democrats and the republicans there were certain things that they would agree with especially if it meant the security and the sanity of the country and the economy of the country but when you are willing if you have a guy like in, in Trump's case or like in Reagan's case. I don't I don't want to get, like I said, let's distance the political a little bit yeah, to the historical. I'm with you. If you have a guy like Ronald Reagan who is punching all the right buttons and he's got Margaret Thatcher and John Paul II and he's making a world difference, the world is looking at him in awe. Everybody wants to be an American and people are emulating him. And you are willing to undermine him just so you can win an election, at the, at the, at the, it's not his expense. He's going to go home and ride his horses and do whatever the hell he did. You're hurting the American people. And that is what, to me, is criminal. Um, if if I was king for a day, first thing would be term limits. Yeah. Because you cannot be in politics for 47 years and not be a prostitute.
0: Oh, I, <laughs> I don't think anybody would, would, would disagree with yeah. that. I got two more questions for you and I'll let you get out of here, but you gotta come back. You're only an hour away. Yeah. Okay. Uh when they went after Saddam, do you think that was Bush doing that for his dad? Why why in the hell would they go after Saddam? Saddam, in my opinion, he had that country under control. Why why blast him? Yeah.
1: I, I will tell you, um, and you saw the picture, I've met the president, I had a lot of he comes across in person incredibly well. he never did on TV. Um it's 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 tough okay you, you you gotta you gotta look at it both ways but I'm sorry I lost my train of thought again no I, I mean that's what happens why, when you get sugar loads yeah, right? yeah yeah. Um, no just you know like
0: they went after Saddam right okay. and, and Saddam right, right. I mean don't you think yeah. he had that country under control without a doubt look and then we watched and was, then you put that them. was
1: the stupidest mistake we made for okay. a lot of reasons. First of all, you had Afghanistan. Wow, this guy which, agrees with me. Man. Which Holy were, shit. I it, need that. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> I mean uh, 100%. The, for us to go after Saddam Hussein was stupid in so many and I have a theory, you know, uh, it's not mine, but I've read it and I agree with it. But anyway, we went after Saddam Hussein for supporting terrorism and possible weapons of mass destruction operative word being Mm possible. nobody focused on the fact that the only natural enemy that iran has had since time immemorial saddam the iraqis Mm -hmm. so they had killed more iranians so we killed the mongoose we killed the guy who was keeping them under control. We keep. Yeah. So
0: since that happened, so I could you not know we,
1: we, we favor. And now, as you know, Iran owns half of Iraq, and yeah. they're in Syria and everywhere else. Which is the worst thing. What I do. have heard that that has credibility for me is that um, what's his name? Who was the? Um, oh jeez, I'm looking at him.
0: What the uh, attorney general? back then?
1: No, 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 no. The, the the guy over over all of the military. um Rumsfeld. Rumsfeld.
0: Rumsfeld yeah, Rumsfeld. I, mean, I can't forget him.
1: I had the displeasure of meeting him oh, once. <laughs> <Displeasure>. Brief, <laughs> br- br- briefed him on a very good successful operation, and I still wanted to take a shower when I left the place. <laughs> but the, the, the theory, the theory he is he looks that, like a fucking real dick. Oh, man. he's he is a, he is a dick. Uh, arrogant. Pompous, yeah, imperial—you know, you you name uh, it—he knows it all, uh, right? Computer hubris. But what I have heard that really resonates and made sense to me was Rumsfeld felt that he needed to have his own war. Remember, he could not say we, the U.S. military, were first responders into Afghanistan. Hmm. The agency stepped in and made him look bad. That wasn't our goal. We hey, we president, doing your job. the president said, "Go do this." We went and did it. So they were very late in the game, and you know it. So you remember, even after those green berets got into town, mm-hmm. uh, it took us months to be able to get the military power into that area till we could start doing the bombings and all that other stuff. So the the, the theory that I read that resonated with me, especially after having met him once, is that he felt he needed to vindicate his administration. His portion of the administration uh and in they played bush you know they they they, they the, his father's thing i think that was more of i cannot see a a, pre, uh, a president of the united states be willing to put thousands of men and women in harm's way to avenge something that didn't happen when you when you say that theory of, of
0: rumsfeld <clears throat> now thinking about him and you you know <clears throat> just from my little shit experience when I was younger, I watched body language mm-hmm. just naturally. And that guy's body language, whenever I would watch him, very stiff, you know, very know-it-all, j- just I could I could see that being a positive. Poly- I could see him. Yeah. Could, I could, could you say that, Rob?
1: He, he, he was yeah, an I egomaniac. Was, I, and, you know, it's funny because I can describe the, the time that we briefed him. It was a very cool operation that I wasn't charged in. We took out a whole bunch of bad guys. So it was all good news. We were sitting down, and he was in the podium. He never—he—he he was literally behind the podium, just leaning, taking notes, not even making eye contact. Like he's god gift on earth. It—it it, it was. It I'm awesome. going like I've never met anybody this arrogant. But I—that wasn't my idea. It's something that I read, and I said, you know, knowing what I know, I—that has more credibility for me than any other other reason for going in there.
0: I'm with that because you know. You obviously know that
1: arrogance can make you make a decision like that. Oh, that is based, Is based, and again, how do you look in the mirror and know that you made a decision based on your ego that costs thousands of lives and trillions of dollars?
0: Probably doesn't give two shits. He doesn't. He's probably sitting on his boat, whatever lobbyist paid him off, threw something to him, having a great time, and could care less. Last question Uh, What is what exactly is SEAL Team 6? I always wanted to know exactly what SEAL Team Six is. I know what Delta is.
1: Yeah, it's it's the Navy version of Delta. I mean, oh, okay. that's the only way you could describe it. They, they, they're, they're, Monsters, the, right? Yeah, they are, they're 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 the best of the best of the best. I mean, you look are they are they the top top top? they' I think they're they're I think they're equal. I think Delta and, and SEAL Team Six have have uh, a a little di- sometimes a little different lanes. Remember, the Navy does work the water. Yeah, uh, you know, and uh, but they're inc- incredible land fighters. They're incredible soldiers, just like SEALs are and just like all our soft guys are. Um, but you have two really tier one elements, and that's the uh, deaf group, SEAL Team 6, and and, uh, and and Delta Force, neither one which exists, of course. And uh, but, we, but we were talking about only two percent of the population serves them at any given time. Well, guess what, guys? only one or 2% of the people in the military Mm -hmm. go into special operations. And out of those 2% that served, and 2% of that are Green Berets, Imagine what percentage become delta. <laughs> so it is. .00003. It is the elite of the elite. Can you imagine elite. that fucking training? Every, well, it, oh. it is. Well, it never stops. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I've had the pleasure of going to, a, they call it the Red Roof Inn. It is the pleasure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I I had the pleasure of going to the Red Roof Inn a couple of times and watch, watch them do their stuff.
2: What did you say? Just it, it's just, a, it's, day, it's just
1: amazing. I, we, we went in there and uh, the guy that was the chief of ops at the time was a very a, a good friend of mine. And, you know, of course, I, I, I had all the clearances and everything else to go. And so I went in there with him uh, when I started my programs. That was one of the places I went. I went to both SEAL Team 6 and, and to Delta because I went, why am I going to be reinventing wheels? Let me see what they have and I'll take the wheels that they need, you know. So uh, first of all, they, sh- they showed me their toy rooms. I mean, they they have Delta had a warehouse. <laughs> And I'm, I'm not exaggerating, but I'm trying to organize it. Imagine a warehouse the size of, a, of an airport, and on this side is 22 ammunition and then there's 25 38 308 and then at the other end you have rpg 7s <laughs> and over here you have stinger missiles mm-hmm. and these guys who walk in there and go uh yeah i need to train with the uh, the stinger missile." oh okay you want one or two <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're driving through the compound and they weren't doing this for us because i mean we arranged this trip like two days before it was just us i mean we're, we're friends we're driving through the compound here comes this helicopter with guys hanging under. They, they hit a, a, a building. They're rappelling down. They're blowing shit up. They're shooting everything up. and I'm going I'm like, cool fuck they watch, do this man. every day. You can go, sh- you know, it, it's <clears throat> just, it, it, that's all they do. That's what they do. I, uh, they're the best of the best. It's just amazing because every time
2: I think of like a special ops person or, or, you know, somebody like you, I just think like they're like such badass dudes, like crazy motherfuckers. And then they go home and they put on pink slippers, <laughs> the thing of yeah. tea, and just they're the chillest people in the world. After that, yeah.
1: but in that moment, it's like, but those are the you know, most, f- but those are the most dangerous. Correct, people. correct. But, but you know they're dangerous for a reason. Yeah, they're dangerous correct. to the enemy because they honestly believe yeah. in what they're doing. Yeah. And of course, the people that rise to that level also believe that they're the best at doing what they do. And they are. In my book, they are. Mm. In the book, they are. Pull uh pull his book up again. I gotta get that
0: book. Gotta get that book out, man. That's a great book. Appreciate it. It's really, really good. Audible's good too, and it's good that I remember we were talking earlier how you picked the the guy from Amazon. Because you know you can listen to like a sample on Apple. Did you hear that one? No. Nothing like the guy on Amazon. Yeah. The Amazon guy has the kind of like the voice like you. Like yeah, a, but that's why you chose him—a man's voice, exactly. like a, he, he if came I'm allowed course. to fucking say that these right. days, yeah, you know, <laughs> without,
1: without getting castrated. Um, yeah, no, he, <laughs> okay. that's that's the reason he was he was elected because I thought that he, I couldn't I could have done that whole book. I I mean I did the first six or seven pages just as the intro, and it took me an hour and a half, and I I was ready to jump out the window. You know, that was the most. <laughs> And, and this guy was so incredibly, um, you're talking about anal retentive. This guy would email me every afternoon and say, okay, your homework is to tell me how to pronounce these words and tell me what this means. And I would now I go on audio and I would, Manicaragua, Manicaragua. You know, and so when he now spoke, you, if you read throughout, there isn't a single mispronunciation of anything mm-hmm. because he was that anal. Excellent. Super, super guy. I'm very happy with him, and you know, the, I don't know if you know this, but the book uh, a couple of weeks ago was also became uh, editor's choice for bi- biographies and autobiographies on Amazon. Oh, wow!
0: Congratulations! Congratulations. Yeah, yeah. Holy so, man, shit! Was, so, that that New was,
1: York was... Times bestseller and editor's choice on Amazon. Yep. Whew. Yeah. And he's been bestseller on Amazon, but like in military things, and in you know, uh, and then all of a sudden it's like, hey, when it comes to Biographies and you know the, these kind of things. Number one, that is congratulations, incredible. and you deserve it. You but deserve you. it yeah uh, And before you get too big, you know, you got to come back again. It'll be my pleasure. Before this guy's doing series, correct? He'll probably turn one. us into a series. Netflix. Yeah. You know, I, I, that, that's would me, you do that? that took. Well, I, I would do it. Of course, I would. Uh, I wouldn't. I don't know that I would do a movie, because um, a, a movie is is entertainment, and I want education. Uh, my book is entertaining but it's educational and it's real and it's real and and i don't want you know the the socio-political you know, things to spill over into the movie or the politics of things so where you have a documentary like maybe four or five mini episodes or episodes that that talks about the experience of what is communism this is what firsthand what you see as communism the plight of of of, of immigrants uh I'm, in this country needs immigrants. We need legal immigrants. You know, one of the things we got to do a lot better is have a process by which legal immigrants can come in this country a lot easier. Button down the borders and then have systems where you can have people come in and you know who you're letting into your house. So it just goes on and on. And on. More, more so organized organize it. Organize, right? exactly. <clears throat> logistics. We go back to logistics Logi- again.
0: Yep. And... So- Go.
2: And totally off the point of everything we're talking about. I'm looking at that picture up there, right? The uh, one to <clears> the <throat> left where mm-hmm. the suit.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, scared badass me. I we talked that. about. Yeah, when I first got his book, I said, man, you look like a bad mother, right? I'm,
2: I, I don't know if you've heard this before, but that picture, for some reason, I'm looking at you and I'm like, Remember the um, the Dosakis guy, the most interesting man in the world. i yeah. see that. I'm I don't know. I legend. see it. I'm like the most yeah. interesting man in the world, and you are the most inter- one of the most interesting men.
1: Yeah, I've, I've gotten a lot of flack <laughs> for that. I've, I have friends of mine will go out drinking beer. They all bring me Dosakis. <laughs> <and that shit. laughs>
0: okay. You got to get a hold of that guy and get twenty percent of what he's. Yeah, That's yeah, right. That's sure when he's getting every one of those reads.
1: Uh, I bet. I bet. But All right, Rick. Well, it's,
0: it's been a pleasure. I uh, love what you're doing with love the kids. Love coming back. Awesome. Let me know. Uh, how definitely. Here. Absolutely. I uh, love what you're doing with the kids, chasing them down. If uh, you need donors, I'd be happy to donate. I want you to sign one of these books. We're going I to put will. it up uh, on the website. Or not on the fucking website. On uh, Spotify. One of the followers will get it. Signed to them. So I appreciate that. I will definitely do this one. Whatever you And do. if you didn't buy it, buy it and follow me and watch Spotify and get the signed book and buy the book anyway so you're both you mm-hmm. you plaque the signed book and you read the book and that you buy it. or get the audio and buy and, and read the book because yeah. <laughs> you gotta get something <laughs> that's right. right that's right alright Rick it's been a pleasure and I will see you soon Rob anything? that's it other than this is the man
2: oh, the most interesting
0: man
1: <laughs> the most, interesting the most interesting man, man. this uh, best okay. interesting man needs a drink I'm gonna take you up on something <laughs> <laughs> you got it, it was for right, me to right. sign your books <laughs> <laughs> oh. thank you very much sir yes,
0: NCS Media is now part of the Spotify exclusive team. If you'd like to watch this episode and others, uncensored and uncut, click on the link in the description below.